0: blog talk radio
1: it's time for standing on my soapbox the daily rant and radio show we talk about all of the good bad and the ugly of current events join your host scott fullerton and co-host craig hurley you our listeners are invited to call in and stand on our soapbox with us call 347-989-0126 between 4 and 5 p.m eastern standard time monday through friday that's 347 989 0126. Now, here are your host and creator, Scott Fullerton, and co host, hey. Craig Hurley. Golden Archie.
2: Well, thank you, and Katie, and welcome to Standing on My Soapbox. It's Monday, March 25th, 2019. That means we have five days ahead of Amazing Talk Radio for you, starting each day here at 1 o'clock Pacific, 4 o'clock Eastern, where we talk about the day's news, politics, and pop culture. You, as always, are invited to call in. Give us your opinion on any topic. The number to call is 347-989-0126. That's 347-989-0126. I am your host, Scott Fullerton, for the next hour. And, of course, over in Chicagoland, is always my co-host, the amazing actor, writer, Mr. Craig Hurley. How's everything in Chicagoland, Craig? It's going fine, thank you. No, this is
1: not Craig Hurley. This is Katie Barbary. How you doing?
2: <laughs> we have a special guest host today. Hi, Miss Katie Barbary. How are you?
1: I'm good. Craig is driving, uh, so I'm gonna hand him over to you for a second, and then he's gonna need to hand it back to me. You have you have an impromptu co-host today. Because we are out Mm -hmm. in the middle of nowhere. I'm not going to say exactly where we are, because I don't want to insult anyone that lives out in the middle of nowhere. But we are out (laughs) in the middle of nowhere. The middle of nowhere, USA. Thank you very much. And a trip that we thought was going to take about an hour and a half. It has taken about three hours, so you can imagine Craig is hangry and needs some coffee and all kinds of stuff. But anyway, I'm going to hand him over to you, and then he's going to go back and take care of all that, and we can start in on the topics. And just we're here. <laughs> Hang on Woo-hoo. one second.
3: For me. Okay, I have to go into McDonald's because I am frigging hangry. I need some coffee. <laughs> I need to take a piss. I have been driving for three hours. It was supposed oh to take an hour and a half this trip. Unreal. This is
2: a tale of woe. A tale of woe. Yeah, like, I woe, can't even imagine what it's going to be.
3: No, when we're heading back <laughs> tonight, it's going to be a frigging nightmare, too. Um, and you're like-
2: so you're still on the outside. You're not even on the return trip. You're on the going there trip.
3: Yeah, no, we still haven't accomplished our mission here. So we're waiting oh, my goodness. to we're waiting for somebody to get their shit together. So I'm always waiting for people to get their shit together. Um, well, at least but, yeah. in the middle
2: of nowhere, there is a McDonald's that can save you. So at least you'll have a McDonald's I, in the middle of the I'm so, I'm
3: actually very surprised. I I haven't eaten at McDonald's in forever. I I don't I you know I'm not a I'm not a I used to be a really big McDonald's fan. Like I was, that was comfort food to me when I was you know not even a year old. The second I learned how to walk, I learned how to walk to McDonald's. <laughs> so, you know, I, I've 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 been a fan of McDonald's my whole life. It's just that uh I got sick. I got really sick at McDonald's uh, a couple of years back. So I haven't eaten at McDonald's since. And I, I'm pretty sure it's just the particular McDonald's that I went to. Um but, you know, and, and we are kinda out in the middle of nowhere, which there's a lot of beef farms around here. So um I would imagine there's some pretty good meat here.
2: There you go. Well, I had the same thing. I had a mental block happen when I was in the hospital. It was my fault. It wasn't Wendy's fault, but I didn't eat Wendy's for like 12 years because uh, when I was 16, I caught meningitis and almost died. And so I'm in the hospital, and my best buddy decides to try to sneak me in. It was so disgusting. I haven't had Wendy's ever since. It wasn't Wendy's fault. I was just sick as a dog and tried to eat this thing, got sick all over the place. But uh, I hear you have mental blocks on that. But yeah, I do like yeah, I'm not, I'm not
3: sure that it's McDonald's fault. I, you know, I I think it was probably that particular place at that particular time. So, it was at a McDonald's oh, in Florida. I don't know why I did that.
2: So, <laughs> I'm not a huge McDonald's no, fan cuz I prefer like fried I like Burger King more. I'll do the I'll do the right. flame broiled as opposed to the flat, but i try not to do fast food very often at all. But if I do, I prefer Yeah, I've been I do like so anti fast food. Vanilla's lattes. The vanilla, the yeah, McCann's no, it's French really good, really and like I'm
3: about food. to I'm about to have one of those the the that French vanilla latte. I'm about to have one of those if I it's can, can hand the phone over to Katie. Watch your head. She just hit her head on this van that we've
4: rented. Uh-oh.
3: Are you all right? Are you sure? Okay. It, it would be great not if nothing. we were on video. It would be awesome if we were on video right now for this podcast. <laughs> it would be great watching this nightmare ensue but yeah i've got i've got a couple of things to talk about uh i mean i'm sure everybody's talking about the fact that there's no indictments or no further indictments on anybody uh and 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 but that's not necessarily true um uh currently our president is looking at i don't know how many criminal charges so with anything that Mueller was looking at. Uh, it's right. all stuff to do with his horrible business practices. So, uh, and, you know, like the foundation and the organization, all of that is being investigated. Those are current investigations that are happening. There will be indictments on those things, um, but nothing about, you know, Russia and collusion and all that crap. So, they're not, right. you know, they're not going. They're not going to indict. They've already done it. They've already with uh, with uh, Manafort and Cohen and uh, what? There's a list of other witches that they've already put in jail. So um, what? Hunted successfully. The witches that they <laughs> hunted successfully yeah. in this witch hunt.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, both sides have been overplaying their hand for a while. I mean, he's overplaying his hand. That he's been totally exonerated it's like no you were you were no he's not the exonerated and that's just ineptness i yeah. mean it, it does say in the report that they were reached out to by the russians they just didn't take him up on it so that's fine and that's good and that's what you want to hear for a president but he's yeah. uh, he's doing these things like you we this should never happen to another president it's like no this should happen to what? every president oh no this possible. has to Something happen to every happen.
3: single president and even the boring ones even, even right. the ones that were all like, like Jimmy Carter. I mean, boring as hell when it came to being a president, but an absolutely fantastic human. And should you know, and if he was investigated for anything, they would have found nothing. So, but every single president should be not only questioned on their taxes, but their business practices and their, their, any, anything that, that is corrupt or a criminal. They should be investigated. If you're going to be a president, you've you got to be trusted. Or not. Exactly. Do we and not have to trust that's our president? The
2: point. I mean, the guy was saying how innocent he was the entire time, which he was. So I would have been – if I was as innocent as I thought I was, I would have been for the report the entire time. It's like, please, let's do everything you need so we can prove to the American public that it's true. It's true. You're fighting every step of the way. Why are yeah. you fighting something that you know you're getting done? It just it, – it was counterintuitive. I think it was just shows what kind of uh, – that his thought process is not there correctly because if he, if he knew everything was not done and that's what it turned out to be. So I'm glad that our sitting president did not collude with the Russians. There's a lot of other things like he said that could happen, but I mean, I would have been for this thing the entire time. I don't understand why he wasn't praising this along the whole way. They're going to go through all this and find absolutely nothing, which they did, but no, he had to make it seem like he was guilty every step of the way by trying to deny the whole um, thing from happening. So I just think it looks bad on both of them. I think it looks bad on the Democrats and the media for, I think it looks bad on him for trying to deny that there is anything and trying to stop it. If he knew he was, didn't have anything going, Um, he should have just let it play out and it would have looked even a lot better for him. Now there's still, it doesn't make him look the best, but it does stop him from the collusion. Now, as far as, the um, obstruction of justice that was not decided upon. Um, no. That was decided upon by Barr. Barr um, decided that he wasn't going to do anything on that, which is his prerogative. But he had already decided that we wrote that twenty-nine page memo six months ago that uh, that he was not going to ever do him for obstruction. That there couldn't be obstruction. Uh, and there was, and the report pointed out things that were obstruction that things that could have been and things couldn't have been. So that needs to be, I think, explored a little bit more. But it is what it is. We have to say, yay, thank goodness the process worked. We found out that our president, even though we don't like him, did not conspire with Russians, which it really looked like. And I'm glad someone looked into it. And I'm glad it was yeah. found not to happen. We should be celebrating this more than anything else. My personal opinion. That does
3: that doesn't um, that doesn't mean that the Russians did not try to interfere with our election.
2: Oh it says right now that they, they absolutely, absolutely they did. interfered
3: with our election. Um
2: That's what it says, yeah.
3: Yeah, they absolutely did, but uh, but the right. family wasn't involved. So as right. far as as far as the FBI can see.
2: Right, the family or campaign wasn't involved in it, but it says they were reached out to by them, they just didn't do it. They didn't know how it worked, they didn't whatever. Thank goodness. And it says that there was definitely Russians in order for, to help them. But I, I think that there was a funny analogy I saw on social media today that's kind of funny, I thought. It's kind of like, um, okay, so let's say that there is this truckload of TVs that got hijacked, right? Which is an analogy for our election. We got an election hijacked. Let's say that your son meets with the alleged, alleged hijackers, which Trump Jr. met with Russian people. Let's say that your campaign manager gave the hijackers the roadmap of where the truck would be, which is what Manafort did by giving them polling direction. And let's say you end up having all the TVs, which he is elected president. Um, How is there not collusion there? I mean, it just it looks that way. They had to look into it because everything points to that. And I thought it was a great analogy. It is what it is. I'm glad that part of it is over. Everything else is going to be playing out for another two years. So what can you do?
3: Yeah. Yeah. There's there's campaign finance investigations that are going on. There's obstruction still that's going on, investigation. So, yeah, I, 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 there's a, a whole other bunch of charges that are, that are being investigated. So. Now speaking bunch. of campaign uh, you know, finance, it's, it's you guys have been over.
2: on the road. You guys have been on the road for three hours. Have you heard about this whole Avenatti thing?
3: No. What did what did we miss?
2: Oh my God! Okay, <laughs> so of course we have com- campaign finance going around about the Stormy Daniels payoff, right? right. Well, Stormy Daniels' lawyer was Michael Avenatti, right? Right. He just got pulled up by the by the um, Southern District of New York in charges. He's being indicted right now as we speak and being in front of a judge right now. He tried to shake down Nike over the last week and a half. And try to extort twenty million dollars from him, and so he's in trouble on that for supposedly saying that he has a client or that he has he has evidence that Nike was paying off some basketball fact There's a whole Adidas scandal going on right now about paying off basketball things. Well, he met with Nike's lawyers and said
3: people have been paid off for years.
2: Right, he said he can prove
3: that it's um, called sponsorship. (laughs) <laughs> right. Well, I, he was
2: telling Nike, says, if you give me mean, $20. If we go about can... it on the
3: legal end of it, it's, yeah. it's called Nike, sponsorship.
2: Avenatti. Right. Well, Avenatti was telling Nike, if you pay me $20 million, I'm not going to have a press conference to talk all about how you were part of this pay-for scheme and da-da-da-da-da. And he was being recorded by the feds. Nike put him to the feds in New York, wow. and he got busted there. And then at the same time, he's getting busted in L.A., uh, right now as well, because supposedly he commingled his funds with clients and paid Rob Peter to pay Paul and back and forth on there. So he's getting double whammied today um, and he's in lots I think of hot I think water. it's
3: very, very interesting how that pendulum swings back and forth. Uh, exactly. We have corrupt exactly. individuals on all sides of this. My point is. Take all of them. I don't care if they're Democrats. I don't care if they're Republicans. I don't care if they're independents. I don't care what they are. If they are corrupt, they need to be out of this system and put into a jail. That's it. Because exactly. We don't need, we the people, do not need any more corruption. We don't need it. We see it all around. We drink the poisoned water and we eat the poisoned food. So we're already dealing with it, and we don't need any more corruption. All of them need to go.
2: Exactly. And then there's one more step to this that I have to add to you because we've talked about it. The indicted co-conspirator in all this that was helping Avenatti in all this, and they just listed him today as Mark Garagos, who we just talked about the other day. Because yeah. he was mentioned by Nancy Grace, and because he is Jussie Smollett's lawyer. Right. He is now an unindicted co conspirator in this whole Avenatti wow. thing. So these wow. These things are all touching so many tentacles right now that it's just, a fa- it's been a fascinating day of news, my friend. Uh, be glad that you're in a van in the middle of nowhere because. No, I'm not no no, no I'm not. no, no, I'm not glad van. I'm
3: in a van in the middle of freaking nowhere. <laughs> no, no, I'm not. Um, the, yet, Academy, so. the Academy, the Academy freaking snubbed somebody. Let's, let's jump into uh, pop culture real quick. The Academy freaking snubbed somebody else, somebody else they've snubbed, uh, in memoriam. Uh, not only Jeff Conaway freaking almost 10 years now, uh, Corey Ham, uh, what is that? Almost five years now, uh, that they haven't mentioned that both of those two individuals have died. Uh they're still Sorry. dead, guys. They're, they're they're still dead. Uh oh no, but this one Arlie Ermy Friggin Arlie Ermy Full Metal Jacket Toy Story
4: I don't I don't
3: know how much money he's made for the friggin' academy, but a shit ton of money. And this makes me really friggin' mad, dude. Arlie Ermey, I actually party with him. I actually know him. Uh, and and I'm livid. I, I had no idea that they had snub snubbed him. I had no idea. They, did and not they, mention did, him they didn't they didn't do Memorial. Carol
2: Channing either who's an icon. They did yeah. Carol Channing this year too. So yeah,
3: Yeah, I I'm, I met her too, but I I never party with her. So I'm I'm <laughs> I'm I, dude, I I just ugh. I I I I just don't understand what What's going through their heads? On you know, you have to mention everybody that died. That's been involved in the entertainment business. Everybody, everybody. Uh, uh, I don't. Uh, I just. I, I. don't get it. They. They snub so many people. I. I guarantee you. And I die. They will not mention me. I Guarantee it. So. Very <laughs> freaking
2: Movie, um, shattered box office expectations this weekend. Of course. He got known for his, uh, for the first horror movie he did, Get Out, right? Yeah. That got really hailed by the Academy and won for an original screenplay and everything. Yeah, no, it was his, a great new movie. his movie is called Us uh, that he directed. Uh, yeah, it was Brian, another horror that, film. I haven't seen it yet. It's another horror about doppelgangers um, being right. led by Napito Leongo, who's the phenom actress that's kind of been the talk of the town the last two years. I don't know that right. much about her, um, but she's just up there. Um, they were expecting it to gross between 40 and 50 million. It did 70 point3 million in North America alone. Wow, over the weekend. Wow. Topping, it brought Captain uh, Marvel I, I, down I'd say people week.
3: really need the I, I'd say people really need the escape of the entertainment business. It's so funny how many people are are so against entertainers right now, but I, I you know they're all going to see movies. They're all, I mean, Captain Marvel, you know, millions and millions and millions of dollars. And now this, you know, 70 million. I mean, that's like, what Jurassic Park didn't even make 70 million in it's open. So what the hell? You know, I, people, I think are trying to, are are, are trying to escape all of the freaking madness. And that's where they go. Go to the entertainment business. That's right. But at the same time, complain about the entertainers and how much you hate them. Okay. Make up your minds. Please, this is coming from it an entertainer.
2: Either you, want me,
3: either you want me right. to get up in front of you for two hours and get you out of your shitty ass reality, or you don't. And if you don't, then don't go see my movie, okay? Don't go see it. Don't watch me on TV. Don't watch me in a play. Don't, because I'm not there to entertain somebody that doesn't want to be entertained. Now, if you do want to be entertained, then go and see my movie or go and see my TV show. And stop bitching about the entertainers and how they act and how they try to get their dumbass kids into colleges. Right. Yeah, now, dude, I have co- to piss like a frickin' racehorse and I I really need to get off the phone. I'm gonna hand it over
2: to Katie. Sorry, dude. <laughs> That's a great introduction, hey!
1: <laughs> I need a fl- yes. Well, that is that is the most uh, you know the, the the most dignified and kindness introduction that this, this actress that has been doing interviews for twenty years has ever gotten. So we're just we're going to continue on that level of of dignity and and you know uh, Latin Latin entertainment. Uh, uh a hollywood industry royalty we're going to continue right there when i say the following please get me a filet of fish in the chocolate shake thank you very much okay there we go we should <laughs> McDonald's go. definitely needs to hit us up now this was fantastic promotion for mcdonald's
4: how there are you, you my dear?
2: i am fantastic how was your talk about your first weekend with no place to go how are you? How What's are it? you doing? Oh,
1: oh, okay. You mean the withdrawals of the Auelas.
4: Exactly. Well, I gotta tell you
1: something. Yeah, it, it, I gotta tell you. When I was a kid, it was harder because I started in this business when I was twelve years old, and it was it was harder for me uh, to leave. You know, when you're a child, you 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 really magnify this idea that everybody is is kind of a family is formed. Uh, when you're when you're doing a project and when you're when you're on a set or when you're on a stage together, especially when you're on a stage. And to that end, you know, you and I were talking about uh, 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 Bobby Jacoby and Adam Carl not too long ago because Adam lost his 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 mom, right. uh, set teacher Lois Carl, um, who had who had worked on so many of the Spielberg projects as a as a set teacher. And these are people that I worked with when I was 12 years old, and they are still my friends to this day. So there's a little bit of truth to that you know that you really do develop a family and i was just talking to uh um my coworkers a few of them on chat from uh from from the abuelas and and they're all teasing me and saying we don't understand why but for some reason we really miss you you know and so it's uh we're we're, we're playing that game but as you get a little bit older uh you know and and you've been in this business enough time you learn to kind of build up that armor so that you're not uh, you're not you're not that devastated because you, you grow to, you know, share a lot of time and space and and as you're as you're building up, uh, you know, as you're building up these these uh, these characters and 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 doing the, the, the research for the characters and doing character development and talking, you know, the human condition and human behavior is is at the end of the day. I mean, there are uh, the, the great Opal Winfrey said it better than anyone else. Uh, I think, in, in her travails and, and in all of the interviews that she's done, that what she's learned is that everybody needs love, and everybody needs to be heard. We all have a story to tell, or 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 a quest, or a or a you know a um, a, a fight, a personal fight that we're having based on an experience that we've had. We all need to tell that story. We all need to talk about that fight. We all need to be heard. And we all need love. That that was the common denominator between everyone. Now, if I if I break it down, I mean, if for everyone that she's interviewed, everyone from, you know, anyone in the United States to, you know, the other side of the world. I mean, the woman, you know, opened a school for children in Africa. We're talking about, and that, that that is the greatest common denominator. If you break it down, obviously, a little bit more. Everyone needs food. Everyone needs water. Everyone needs air. But those were the common denominators on an emotional level. Everyone needs love and everyone needs to be heard. So that when you're building up, uh, you know, uh, uh, you're 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 doing uh, character development for stories. You will for 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 a story that you're involved in, a play that you're involved in, or a movie or a television show. You will find that common thread between the characters and yourself and your coworkers. And so that begins to open up then dialogue about, well, this happened to me when I was a child, or this happened to me when I was a teenager, or this, happened, you know. And so you begin to build that closeness with your coworkers because. As actors, I've always thought of, 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 uh, of an actor, I've always tried to look at it this way, uh, as, as an actor is, is, is kind of a psychologist, you know, I mean, we don't have a degree, but it's our job to figure out what makes that character that we're portraying tick. So, as such, you know you end up in kind of a therapy session when you're when you're when you're doing character development on these projects, especially if we're talking about the stage where you're going to do the you know the same thing over and over again. you can delve deeper in, so you do you build a bond, you build a bond between yourself and 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 your coworkers and it's real and um and and it's you know emotions can run high and passions can run high and and people can not get along, but but God, in Chicago, I have absolutely not had that experience, and I've had that experience, uh, honestly, very little in in my life and career, you know, ever. Be it L.A. or uh, Mexico or or Colombia or Miami, I've always I've always been able to find I think the good in people and the good in my in my uh, in, in my coworkers and and that is absolutely right. the case with with the theater actors I've been working with in Chicago. They're just lovely people, and they're so dedicated to their craft, and so. You know, you um, you you build up uh, you build up a, a a friendship that feels a lot like a family, and you're spending a lot of time together. So, yeah, there's a little bit of withdrawal. But as you get older, you get uh, you know, and we're very busy. There's a lot of, of of personal life changes that are happening with us, and and big decisions that are being made. So, I'm trying not to think about not being back at Victory Gardens Theater this weekend. It'll be okay. It'll be there
0: you okay. go. It, yeah,
1: everything in in this business. You know, that is what uh, Emmy Rossum cited as a reason why she left uh, Shameless, is that she said that she is used to beginning that process of a project, be it a, a movie or even a series, but nobody knew. It is John Wells, so they could have predicted it. I mean, John Wells is a brilliant um I believe it's Irish series, Irish television show is what uh, shameless is based on about a black, a black Irish family. And, uh, and so they brought it to, they brought it to Chicago, which makes a lot of sense. And, uh, and, 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 but that's what she cited as one of the reasons, one of the main reasons why she left uh, shameless is because she, she honestly needed that experience of ending a project. You know what I mean? She needed the experience. So um right. So, you know, that's that's one of the reasons, and, and there's there's beauty to that, too. There's beauty to all of the different experiences that we can have as, as, as performers and all the different stories that we get to tell and the different people that we get to meet and the different, uh, you know, um, uh, working families that we get to become a part of. We work contract to contract. It's like anybody that works contract to contract can understand what I'm saying, be it, you know, a real estate agent or a contractor or what have you. You know, you're always going to have a new experience with new people. Based on that, it's not uh, it's it's not the nine to five thing of of you see the same people every day. That's certainly not right, Very day. true. Yeah.
2: Now, so. have you ever worked with um, L.A. TV before?
1: Latin TV. Have I worked where? What now?
2: With Latin TV, L.A. TV, kind of based out of L.A. That new network they have, Spanish language. Bilingual station, Latin
1: TV. No, but I am definitely going to hit them up. I don't. I actually have not. I, I'm not familiar with. I've worked with uh, with Televisa, with Univision, with uh, Telemundo, with uh, uh, Caracol, uh, uh, all kinds of stations all over the world. But I, I don't know anything about Latin TV. I'll have to look into that. Why? What's I'm what's the cla- skinny? I,
2: we, well, I, I I just think it's perfect for you in general and for Vampires are uh Daylight Ducks in particular. They're
0: relatively
2: really? new. They're only they're just going across the country now. They're on Dish Network, they're on DirecT and they're on uh different I think they're in twenty-one states right now. But my friends recently launched a the very first Latin LGBT talk show on it. And they've been getting great response from it because it's such a small um, just a, a, such a small launch and it's, it's really blowing up for it. And it seems like they are looking for content really, really bad there. Interesting. And I, I think well, they, we, will, like, we, we will definitely hit them up. Perfect. I think that's
1: fantastic. Oh, thank you for yes. letting me know that. Yeah. That's, no that's great. No I, I don't I, know who system. the, what's that now?
2: I, I wasn't sure if you, if you've come across them yet, because like I said, they're not available here in Ohio. And I'm not sure if they're in Chicago. Um, like said, you know, I did a series, and
1: Craig actually did an episode of a series called Married for Mayor, and that was not Latin TV. It was another, but it, it sounds a lot like what you're describing. It was another network called Cox Entertainment, and they are COX, and they are, uh, I believe, based out of Atlanta, and they have some offices in Florida. And they are in different regional parts of the country as well, like depending on where you live, you could or could not see. Uh, the project. So a lot of those are popping up, uh, you know, regionally and in, in different parts of the country. And they're, they're based out of the, the, the cable networks because, you know, it, and it's just absolutely amazing. I was just telling Craig's, Craig's mom the other day, I did a very, very rough calculation at any given time uh, because, you know, you're now, you know, when Craig and I started in the industry, there were three networks and then four. We actually were right. already in the industry where there was only ABC, NBC, and CBS. And then there was Fox. And they did have HBO and Showtime, but those were strictly – they were almost strictly distributors. They would run old movies. And then they, they started buying old series that, were, that had already aired, you know, and that had already been – prepping until about the 90s, uh, the 90s and then, the, you know, into the early 2000s. But now, when you talk about – I mean, as an actor, the opportunities are just amazing because you've still got those three networks that are now four, ABC, NBC, CBS, and Fox. But you've also got all cable, then pay cable, then streaming services, which is just crazy because it's, you know, it's, it's Netflix, it's Hulu, it's Google, it's Facebook, it's everybody is making their own original programming now. So that you've got somewhere, and this isn't even including film, somewhere upwards of 250 productions going at any given time. In the year, like there's, I don't know how there's any such thing anymore as a hiatus. We we were raised in an industry industry that was different. There was pilot season, which was from January to uh, late March or early April. Well, actually, more like late April. And then there was this period which was just so dead that if you weren't doing film and you weren't doing uh, commercials, there was just or voiceovers, there was nothing to do, and it was called hiatus. And then the end of hiatus, which was always like, yay, hiatus is over. That would start at the beginning of July, uh, which was when they'd go into pre-production. Which any of the series that were that were in production, then you had an opportunity to maybe book a guest star, or a or or you know, a recurring that type of role, and you were going to be a part of the series production uh, through that process. And they were producing that uh, into uh, February and March. And then you experience that hiatus. That isn't happening anymore because now all year, all year they right. are producing all over uh, the industry for, for, uh, for all different uh, streaming platforms and cable, pay cable, everything else. It's a really exciting time for actors uh, to be a part of this industry. Um, and I'm not sure how we got into this, but uh, Craig just got back in the car with our order of Mickey D's. But uh, but he but it's uh, it's a very exciting time
2: to be a part of uh, of the industry. It truly
1: is, you know. I bet. So that's uh yeah. It is. Well, let's take a,
2: a quick break. We're actually halfway through the show already. We're going to take a break so you guys can awesome. uh, have a little bit of food there. Uh, we'll play a little bit of uh, "Hometown" by Brandon Stansel. If you're listening Standing on My Soapbox. Give us a call and we get back 347-989-0126. 989-0126. Three four seven there nine eight go. nine zero one three six. I just want to go on with Craig host right host here today, and now, Katie <laughs> I have
1: done an excellent <laughs> job of filling in. Craig has, I, I'm sorry, Scott has not gotten a word in edgewise.
2: <laughs> you have done <laughs> So we're going to take fantastic. a break. That's perfect,
1: my dear. Thank you so much. We'll see you right back.
2: We'll be back right after this message. Thank you.
0: Red light and Baptist people. The people here are hard to face, the memories harder to erase. Of all the things that make up a one it's fun.
2: Welcome back to Standing on My Soapbox. I'm your host, Scott Fuller, and I have two co-hosts today. I have Mr. Craig Hurley <laughs> and his lovely fiance, Miss Katie Barberi, right now taking a break with our newest sponsor, McDonald's Lattes. Guys, right, how are we doing? <laughs> oh, my God. It's the best McDonald's we've ever had in our
4: lives.
2: <laughs> yeah, I guess after being on the road for three hours, anything would taste good. Sure. McDonald's is yummy at that, that point in life. How are oh we doing, guys?
1: God. It's nectar of the gods. It's <laughs> nectar of the gods. It's so good. Best chocolate shake I've ever had.
2: <laughs> Very awesome. good. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, you have a chance to call in and talk to us, 347-989-0126, 347-989-0126. Uh, guys, I got to tell you, my uh, I, by the end of this election, I'm going to learn how to say Mayor Pete Budizes, 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 my my buddy Mayor Pete, who nobody heard of two months ago, is now number three in the polls in Iowa. He directly is. behind Joe he Biden is. and uh, Bernie Sanders. And, and Bernie, um, he, he is, is right behind three. him. He's ahead of Kamala Harris. He's ahead of Cory huh? Booker. He's ahead yep. of uh, Elizabeth Warren. Pretty exciting stuff. I got to tell you,
1: it is. And he's been doing a fantastic job on the on the uh, on the on the talk show circuit. He really has. He seems like a, a a lovely individual who who has a lot of exciting ideas, but but also has the the uh, the wherewithal to be offering solutions to implement said ideas. Which I think is uh, is one of the biggest problems that maybe the American public has. In general, with everybody's thought process and politics, Um, he just seems like an extremely uh, just brave, uh, genuine, honest guy who uh, who who is has a lovely sense of humor and has been. It just seems to be a man of the people and loves you know loves being a part of process, but uh, but is but is there to serve, not to serve himself. So that's very nice to look at. And by the way. I got to tell you, the fact that I, I I still can't pronounce it with any dignity. I mean, there is no <laughs> dignity behind my pronunciation, and I am bilingual, and I still I still can't pronounce it. But I think it's uh, I think it's I think it's great that you can. I'll let you do it,
2: <laughs> Mr. Pete Buttigieg.
4: Any, Buttigieg. Yeah,
2: it's nice. I think it's nice to have a presidential candidate with no pretense. Everyone else has some kind of an agenda going into. The especially people who have been in political office a long time, which are most of the declared candidates, they've all been in office a while, they all kind of have their thing that they're after, and this is someone freshly minted who just wanted to run his city the best he could for the last seven years,
4: and, right. her, and now he wants right. to do
2: the same thing with the country, and I think he's right. talking in plain speaking English enough where people are mm-hmm. really able to relate to him, um, mm-hmm. and I think that's the biggest, biggest advantage. And he's not
4: trying
1: this to be a politician. Is, you know, it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's very complicated. It's very complex what we're going into here because those of us that are disappointed with our, 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 the current administration and with uh, this gentleman's uh, performance – in the white house did and
0: uh, well
1: i'm i'm always going to be craig's like did you just call him a gentleman i'm always going to be polite <laughs> nothing craig and i
0: about
1: craig and i are very craig and i are very very different in our approach we may we may think the same way but we're very different in our approach um and uh, well anyway uh, those of us that are that are not happy and and increasingly th- those numbers increase every day and um you know, Sarah Silverman was talking about this a lot because she has, she has a show that I, oh God, I don't want to butcher the name. I think it's America, I Love You, or I Love America, something along those lines. I think it's on Hulu, and I might be wrong about that, but it's, uh, it's, on, it's on a streaming platform. I know it's not Netflix because I couldn't get it right away. Uh, and she was talking about how if you go into middle America and you go in anywhere and talk to just people, uh, that, that, are, that, 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 the, that their, their way of expressing themselves is not being influenced by the media or influenced by any outlet or source that is trying to uh, convey that they are a part of a pocket of, of mindset, almost like pod people, uh, you'll find that, that people, you know, really – uh, feel the same way they feel that everybody should should have you know they want their rights protected and everybody should have a right to live their lives as well and that people are actually much kinder and, and much more loving and giving than than what the media is making them out to be and and the, the media as an actor i can tell you this you know there's 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 nothing there. there's nothing to everything is going great. Nobody wants to see that in print when you're a member of, of, of the media. It's not, no, it's controversy is what sells as an actor. I can tell you that anybody that's listening to right. me that doesn't know anything about the Latin market may not know me from Adam or they know me from, you know, every which way or the garbage fell kids movie or whatever I did, you know, whatever shows I did, you know, in, in my younger days or what have you, but anyone that knows anything about the Latin market, knows that anytime I've been in the headlines it's not because everything's going great, you know what I mean? It's because I'm I'm experiencing some kind of a personal crisis and that's what sells. They they used to, the saying used to be that's what sells papers, but not a whole lot of things are selling papers anymore unfortunately. That's what sells. Right. That's what sells a story. So uh you know, uh th- these these pockets of individuals that supposedly feel one way and they feel one individual way about everything, like they feel the same way about economy as they do religion as they do uh entertainers as they do lgbt as they do uh it, it, the situ- situation with immigration as they do all of it no everybody has their own individual mindset we are not pod people we're not you know we're not stepford people we're we're we're, we're human beings and we have different points of view about everything based on our own personal experiences and who we've seen in our lives that may have suffered uh, any kind of discrimination—that's going to—that's going to have a big—it's uh, going to have a big impact. People are people, and at the end of the day, like like I, I said earlier, we all need to be loved, and we all need—we all need love, and we all need to be heard. And so, you know, if you, if you get into if you get into the the the, the population in general of people and you, and you go into different pockets of the country and you talk to them, people are are actually much more loving than 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 it than than the media might make them out to be, you know, depending on on what side they they are depicting them to be on. But I think that the right. uh candidate uh, uh Mr. say it please. <laughs> so i don't know what he to. says what he says it's awesome um he is he's he's reaching out to people on a very real level and it's a, it's a lovely thing to see you know it's complex right now because uh the mueller report came out and those of us who are disappointed with this gentleman that's in office you know we might la- not not like to hear him yeah,
0: well again, I, again, that, gentleman. Uh,
1: uh, I will never call him anything but uh, but, you know, those of us who are disappointed might look at –
3: about 50 other terms that I could call him.
1: But I am the one on the phone right now. Um, th- those of us who are disappointed might might not like to hear all the things that we're hearing that came out of the Mueller report, you know, one way or the other. But at the end of the day, what's most being said on shows like Bill Maher is, you know, beware most there, – there are very few uh, uh, presidents who only do a four-year term. So those of us that are not happy with this gentleman's performance or with the point of view that it's that it's generating uh, between between people, answer
2: it, please. Um, yeah, you know, that's a, kind so of, of a that are, that are My friend told me this morning that I think there's only two presidents that haven't went to a second term who wanted a second term. And two exactly,
0: exactly,
2: exactly. And so there, there are very
1: few, and so the the expected – uh, course of action would be that you know that that this gentleman would be in, in in you know in in the White House for the eight full years. And so, who comes in? Who comes in as a as a, as an official as the official ca- candidate for the for the Democratic Party? It's it's almost never been more vital for 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 anyone who who feels that that is you know the right way to go. So.
2: Right. Very true. You know, and I'm glad that the Democrats are kind of trying to bring it back to the people a little bit. I mean, they picked um, right by you. They picked um, Wisconsin for the Democratic National Convention this year. They're not going to the major right now, coast where people complain about, but it's actually taking it to uh, Milwaukee, Wisconsin for the Democratic Convention. I think that'll help kind of bring it back to Middle America. Yeah. That's so it brings it back to Middle America again. Definitely. That's
1: fantastic. That's great.
3: Awesome.
1: Um that's fantastic. I am I am thrilled to hear that. Actually, you know what? It's uh we're we're able to proceed?
3: Yeah, but
1: do we own them anything? No. I, I think it's okay. Uh then I am going to do that and I'm going to give you back your show. I'm going to give you back your co-host.
2: All right. Well, thank you very much Ms. Katie Byberry for joining us for this hour. We appreciate it. You're welcome. It has been time. it has
1: been awesome. It is always lovely to hear your voice. Sending out, a, hear your voice. Sending out a big hug to everyone who's who's listening, and and like my Craig says, be kind to each other. I'm going to give you back to Craig now, so he he can rant. He's still got a little bit of time to rant. He can work up a couple rants in the 15 minutes
2: that are left. You got a good 10 minutes or so here. Yeah,
1: that's more than oh. enough time for him. Believe me, I've I've lived with him for seven years. <laughs> <laughs> I said no. Okay, take care of yourself, my dear.
2: All righty, thanks, Katie. All right guys you guys' no, talk about, about the weather 3, 4, no. No. no I'm gonna talk
3: about the weather i'm gonna I'm gonna change oh, the no. the feel <laughs> Scott's like no, you're like no
0: Back to the weather stop
3: talking about the weather. it gets boring. No, nah, everybody's getting pummeled right now. Got another storm system that's coming through over the next like week or so, and we just had one go through yesterday.
2: You're making me plan my road trip farther south every time we talk.
3: Yeah, it's spring. impossible. It, well, no, these storms are, are taking a southern track as well. The low pressure sy- system seem to just be going straight across the middle of the United States. They're not taking a higher track.
2: Mm, goodness gracious.
0: I can't uh, have any more. What I, I, see, have... Go
4: ahead. I
3: see over the next, like, five weeks, I mean, I'm so sorry, the next week or a week and a half, uh, I see five different storms that have begun to set up. And, uh, like, California is currently getting hit by something, and um, that's on its way this way. Um, And I see other storms that are setting up, like, near Alaska and then go up into Russia, and there are storms that are setting up there. We are directly influenced by those storms. Uh, Storms travel from the west to the east. So that's, (laughs) that's how it works in the United States. And pretty much all around the world. Um, so we are directly influenced by those storm systems. And there are two hurricanes that just hit, and they call them cyclones for some reason. I don't know why. Verbiage is extremely important. And I don't know why they try to confuse the hell out of everybody. Because they'll also call a tornado a cyclone. So it doesn't make any sense. Like the last storm that they just had, they called it a bomb cyclone. And it doesn't make any, any sense to me. Can you hear, Sugar? Can you hear my dog? I do hear it. Yeah. yeah. She's being feisty. She's telling somebody off that's walking into it. Uh, um, but uh, yeah, we. I, I don't know why they use different verbiage for the same type of
2: storm.
0: Um,
3: there were two this cyclones. Area, I
2: just looked it up while you were talking. The only difference between a hurricane, a cyclone, and a typhoon is the location is the where the storm occurs.
3: Correct, which is just dumb. Uh, they're all hurricanes <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, they're just called different things in different areas of, of the world. Um, Hey, shook, relax. Okay. So, and I know there's a whole bunch of people here to be barking at. I'm very surprised. We are literally out in the middle of nowhere and there's a bunch of people. I guess McDonald's is extremely popular in the middle of nowhere. Um, oh, but you
0: yeah,
3: no, there's a bunch of people, a bunch of kids. There must be a school around here somewhere. Um, yeah, she doesn't like, our dog doesn't like children on bicycles. So anytime she sees, or skateboarders, she freaks out at skateboarders. So I don't know what it is with humans and wheels. It just seems unnatural. So that's what she's going off of right now is somebody on a bicycle. Um, because it is bicycle weather, but yeah, uh, they're all, they're all hurricanes. And, uh, even though they call them a cyclone, um, it's a hurricane and there are two of them that just hit simultaneously, uh, Australia and they hit like the North, uh, East coast of Australia. Um, all of those storm systems will get wrapped up into, uh, the El Nino event that's been happening as well in the Pacific Ocean. So those storm systems and that energy literally get sucked through the atmosphere by the El Nino event and by the currents that are happening in the ocean. and And the only direction they can go is towards Mexico and then us. So because that's how the El Nino actually affects it. it It literally goes across Mexico and goes through the, through that mountain range. San San I don't know which mountain range that is. Sierra Madres, I think. Um, but whatever. Uh and then gets shifted to go north and then ends up going through the Rockies usually. So and then across the United States. We get directly Got- affected by all of those systems. So yeah, we're 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 in for it. Uh April showers bring May flowers, right? Isn't that the cliche? There you go. April yeah, showers, bring Mayflower. To I told you I'd be talking about the weather. Katie got into the truck and she's like, you are still talking about the damn weather? What the <laughs> hell are you doing? I wanted to bring a downer to the show. I wanted to hit the brakes that. on the show.
2: <laughs> no, we, uh, we are doing it. We're getting the mid-50s for three days here, four days. Mid, and then we have chance of snow next Monday again. So it's yep. typical April in Ohio. Yeah, it's. Yeah, no, this
3: is spring. We should absolutely expect uh, rain, and we should absolutely expect some snowstorms and some tornadoes and some hail, you know, the normal stuff. But they're going to be more severe. Every single storm that we encounter will be more severe in, in some way. And that's climate change that's what right. we've been trying to explain when it comes to climate change is the the severity of the storms, you know, we've seen places flooded this year that don't ever get there were tornadoes that hit in Alabama. They, they don't get tornadoes in Alabama, not in that area. There had never been a natural disaster. And I think it was Lee County in Alabama <clears throat> and they just got hit, whatever, two weeks ago by tornadoes. Right. And one that stayed on the ground for 70 miles we, They've never gotten tornadoes ever in the history that we've that we've been documenting weather. They've they've never received a tornado. So that's what we're talking about about the extremes. You know, I- I- expect the unexpected when it comes to any storm.
2: Exactly. Yeah, it just you can't plan on anything anymore. This 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 whatever weather phenomenon you want to call it, whether you want to call it global warming, climate change, whatever it happens to be. It's a scientific fact anymore. Anyone that's doubting it is just not into science. They don't understand of uh, things. And like you said, we've explained to it on this show for four or five weeks how the difference between the weather and climate change. The weather is daily and climate change is yearly. And yeah, the no, the difference, difference
3: between that... climate climate and weather. Uh, climate is based on an annual uh, uh, they, they document everything that happens worldwide around uh, – I mean around the world. Uh, they document it on a daily basis. And then you go through and you average out what has happened over a 365-day period. And then you uh, take those averages and you go to decades – you start looking at 10 years and you start looking at 20 years and you start looking at 30 years and we've only been documenting the weather not really that long. I mean, considering, I mean, I think, I think it was late 1800s when we first started going, okay, there's a pattern to what we're seeing. And mainly that was for farmers. That was, you know, so that we could make sure that our farms had enough water uh, in a year in order to sustain whatever crop they were, they were growing or, you know, our, our beef or our chickens or whatever, um, <clears throat> anything that our farmers were, anything agriculture uh, that they were taking care of, we needed that to know what might happen next year at whatever time. And that's where climate comes in. Uh, weather is what happens literally today. Let's see. I'm looking outside. It's clear sky. We've got a wind out of the north-northwest, uh, about 18 knots. Uh, 15 miles an hour and these are just my guesstimates um and we're looking at you know what 48 degrees so it's a pretty nice day pretty temperate day go. pretty comfortable and this that's just well, this we're gonna weather.
2: end on so, that my today. friend we got about three minutes left i'm gonna play a song so i can get ready for the next show here and let you guys get back on the road thanks for standing on my soapbox today my friend and thanks for your special yeah. guest co-host i appreciate it
3: no thank you yeah Oh no, Katie's right, awesome. Line, I, I think we'll you probably back. you probably had a better show.
2: I it was it was good all the way around. It's always good. <laughs> all right, guys, we'll be back okay. in uh, twenty three hours here. Join us in standing on our, my soapbox 347-989-0126. That's the straight show. Be good be to, to yourselves. Be good to your neighbors. There you go. Have a good day, everyone.
3: Peace.
2: Howdy, 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 everybody. Welcome to the Left of Straight Show. It is Monday, March 25th, 2019. I am your host, Scott Fullerton. I hope you all had a fantastic weekend. I spent my weekend in Columbus, Ohio. I took Mama Linda with me for a little food and gambling for her. And then I got to go meet one of my Left of Straight guests I interviewed a few weeks back, Alec Cherovich. Him and I met up, and we got to go see Margaret Cho do her act at the Funny Bone Comedy Club in Columbus. She was absolutely fantastic. We got to go backstage and meet her. Her little puppy was with her that she talked about getting on the show when she was here last month. Had a nice visit with her, a couple nice pictures on social media. If you're not following me on social media, please do on Twitter and Instagram, at Left of Straight. Always spelled L-E-F-T-O-F-S-T-R in the number eight on uh, Facebook and on YouTube, Left of Straight Show. But take a look at me and Margaret and Alec and that little puppy dog. It was so cute. Had a great time. She was hilarious as always. She had an opening act, Rocco, that was so funny. So, yeah, great time in Columbus. So glad to do that. In just a couple minutes today, guys, I'm going to play a couple of my favorite repeat episodes for over my three years of doing interviews here with great celebrities and personalities. I wasn't sure if we were going to make it home in time, so I didn't book any interviews today. And I'm also getting ready to launch the Big Gay Road Trip Fundraising Indiegogo next week. And I have a new batch of Left of Straight radio interns starting next Monday. So it's a very busy week. So we're doing this live open uh, following Standing on My Soapbox, but I'm going to do two replays for you today. In just a couple seconds, I'm going to bring up my interview with the amazing Miss Coco Peru. If you don't know Coco, she's a fantastic drag comedian, um, so talented, an actress, been in lots of movies and shows. Uh, she actually came to Columbus about a year, year and a half ago. I got to go down and talk to her and see her in person, meet with her. We did a great interview Um, at the our good friends at the evolution theater company in columbus and then after miss coco i'm going to be playing my interview with a personal favorite of mine nick Lazzarini, who of course came to fame on so you think you can dance you know it's one of my favorite reality shows that i watch Uh, he went on to help co-found shaping sound dance group and is choreographed all over the country so a great show for you today with the replay interview of Ms. Coco Peru and Nick Lazzarini will be coming up in a few moments. Uh, tomorrow, it's going to be two brand new interviews, but they're also going to be pre-taped. I'm going to do a live open after standing on my soapbox at 4 o'clock, and so I'll talk to you live tomorrow. But then we're going to do two great pre-tapes I did the last two weeks here. One, we're going to have the creator and cast of The New 30, a great web series are currently raising funds on kickstarter.com for a second season, so you need to go check them out. And then I'm going to be talking with SiriusXM and Entertainment Weekly personality Kyle Anderson. He has his own show on SiriusXM. He's also a fellow comic book nerd, so we're going to comic geek out a little bit tomorrow. So that's going to be the show for tomorrow. But we'll jump into the show in just a couple of seconds. Let's do a little bit of the news that I found interesting while I was away this weekend, some highlights, and uh, then we'll get on to the uh, hilarious and gorgeous Miss Copo, Peru. First thing I wanted to talk about um, was you know I am a huge supporter of Mayor Pete Buttigieg from good old Indiana there, South Bend, Indiana. He's the mayor of South Bend, running for president. I had him on the show about four weeks ago now, and he has shot up to third place in a recent Iowa poll. Um, They're doing the the likely Democratic caucus goers in Iowa. He is third place only behind Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders. So he was just to let you know, uh, in January when they first started doing the polling, he was at zero percent. He is now in third place with 11%. He's ahead of Kamala Harris, who has 10%. Everybody else is in the single digits. He's ahead of Elizabeth Warren. He's ahead of Cory Booker. He's ahead of Joaquin Castro. So a big way-to-go guy to to Mayor Pete Buttigieg, who is just rocketing up in his brand awareness. Still needs a way to go. Um, to become president. But boy, I'm so proud of him and everything he's doing. His husband, Chaston, is hilarious on Twitter. If you're not following Chaston, you need to follow him. He's up to 60,000 followers already. So a big way to go, Guy, for coming in third place in the recent Emerson poll for the Iowa caucuses. So that's fantastic. Uh, what else going on? Did you happen to see Friday night in New York city is one of their oldest gay bars called pieces and who stopped by, but Adele and Jennifer Lawrence didn't say why they were in town. They were together in New York city, decided to go by this gay bar pieces in Manhattan had a great time. They played a couple games. They were interviewed by the drag MC of the night. And if you have to go check, go check YouTube for these, videos with Adele playing musical chairs and Jennifer Lawrence kind of playing around with her. A lot of fun. I always miss all the good things happening at the gay bars. That's for dang sure. Also announced um, at the Paley Fest this weekend. If you go into... Paley does all these great interviews come in television time. And the Paley Fest interviews are amazing. They did Pose recently along with This Is Us and so many... But on um, season two of Ryan, Murphy's po- of Ryan Murphy's Pose, they announced that they're going to bring Patty LaPone as a recurring character on season two. They haven't said what she's going to play yet, but she'll be in there doing scenes opposite of, of course, Billy Porter and MJ Rodriguez. So that's going to be exciting. Plus they're going to be talking about um, taking place around March 1990 when Madonna released Vogue to the clubs. So Madonna's not actually going to star in the show, but she is going to be a heavy piece of the show as her Vogue gets launched. And, of course, the uh, girls of Pose are going to go crazy over that. So it'll be exciting to see Patty LaPone, who is an icon, uh, acting on the show and going through Vogue and Palm Springs. Uh, A couple other things I thought interesting. San Antonio City Council has voted against allowing a Chick-fil-A to open a franchise in the San Antonio airport. um, Citing that LGBT, they're still pouring money into LGBT, anti-LGBT causes. They've had a dust up over the last week over some of their most recent um, contributions. As you know, they kind of came to fame, about four or five years ago when they were caught uh, donating to the Family Research Council, which is a very anti-LGBT group. Also, the um, conversion therapy group Exodus International, which is not around anymore. But at the time, the CEO of Chick-fil-A, Dan Cathy, told a newspaper the company was – Guilty is charged of making anti-LGBTQ donations and said that marriage equality proponents have the audacity to define what marriage is about and inviting God's judgment on our nation. So they are still um, donating to supposed hate groups, including Salvation Army. And because of that, the San Antonio City Council is not letting them open up a franchise at the local airport there. So it's good on them for having that and last thing i want to talk about a sad thing you know we're going to be talking about the big gay road trips starting a lot starting next week and we'll be going to palm springs for a month of june this weekend though at a gay bar in palm springs uh tukin's tiki lounge which brings great drag performers from rupaul's drag race and from all over great performers there i've been there quite a few times uh, but they had a shooting at Tukan's tiki lounge this past weekend Uh, Police are looking for a Latino man in his 20s or 30s uh, as a suspect. It happened around 2 a.m. early Sunday morning. Both shooting victims survived. They're both being treated at local hospital. Police say the shooting started as an argument in the bar and moved outside to the parking lot, where someone was shot both inside and outside the bar from a random bullet. So. My thoughts go out to Palm Springs and Tucan Tiki Lounge, which I will be at in just a few, two months from this week. So that's the last news I have for you guys. Thanks for tuning in today. Like I said, I'm going to play two best of interviews. We're going to start with um, the beautiful Miss Coco Peru, who I absolutely love talking to. So let's play a little bit of beautiful. By our good friend Dan Um, And then when we come back We're going to have Coco Puri Here we go Thanks for listening to the Left and Straight show guys In just a little bit after that We will have um, the fantastic dancer Nick Lazzarini Here we go
0: Father in the sky into a line. I see you passing by and we're flowing down the side. Now my love is by. All I see is flashing lights, Cause you're right here by my side. Can you feel it come alive? If this was a love song, would you be mine? I just can't get you off of my mind. Yeah.
2: And we are back. That was David Hernandez from American Idol with Beautiful. And speaking of Beautiful, my next guest is an actor, comedian, drag performer who is an LGBT icon. He's used her talents for activism and entertaining us through the AIDS crisis, teen homelessness, bullying, and beyond. Performances started back with the first one-person show, Miss Coco Peru, in my goddamn cabaret, to her most recent, A Gentle Reminder, Coco's Guide to a Somewhat Happy Life. This will be playing this weekend in my neck of the woods here in Columbus, Ohio. She's hosted so many things and great videos on her YouTube channel. She's been in numerous TV and movies, and I can't wait to speak to her today. Please welcome to the show the amazing Miss Coco Peru. Miss Coco, how are you?
5: I'm wonderful, and, and what an introduction! Thank you. Well, you I wish you could introduce me everywhere I am. I go. Oh,
2: there you go. You've had a wonderful career, my dear. You deserve every syllable there. you I for being have on been the show very, today.
5: very, very lucky.
2: Well, you've been very, very, very talented as well. Thanks so much for coming to the show. Let's talk a little bit of background, just real quick, for those that have been in the cave for the last 20 years or so and are not familiar. You grew up in New York. Talk a little bit about growing up in New York and what got you involved in theater and love of performing.
5: I grew up in the Bronx, and I grew up in a very small neighborhood called City Island, and it is actually an island, so it was very... um isolated, but yet still very close to Manhattan. So we would go to see
0: uh-huh.
5: uh, every now and then a Broadway show or the the um, Radio City Christmas Spectacular with the Rockheads. So I was exposed to um, theater at a young age, but I also grew up around a lot of very, very, very funny people. My parents um, had a group of friends, and they were – I think they were all damaged in ways from World <laughs> War II and just – you know, life in general, but they always had humor to deal with their problems. So I I was fascinated with these adults, and um, I think I just always knew that I wanted to be an entertainer from when I was very young, and I would put on shows in my house for, you know, anybody that would watch. Right. And if no one was there, I was just pretending there was just, you know, a huge audience in front of me. So when I was in high school, um, the uh, I don't I think it was the nurse or somebody it was but but it was I think it was the nurse because I used to go to the nurse all the time to get out of gym class I would pretend to be sick and I um, got
0: gotcha.
5: Yeah I always got like a terrible sinus he- headache just <laughs> when you know gym class rolled around so I would go to the nurse and I ended up Talking a lot with her, so she told my parents, "Listen, your son came into the school wanting to be an actor, and he is leaving the school wanting to be an actor. So, you know, most kids change their minds a million times, but he's always b- been consistent. So let him go to college for acting." And um, so my parents said, "Okay," and that's what I did. And then uh, that's awesome.
2: That's so cool that Pretty so
5: yeah, but I realized that I was never going to be taken seriously as an actor because I was too gay. And um, and at that time there were no gay roles really, so I um, I decided I was going to have to create my own show, and um, there's a number of reasons well, why I chose drag as my outlet.
2: Yeah, I want to talk about that because you probably have the title of drag queen, but you're really more of a character actor I think with that theater background and you actually kind of break that fourth wall a bit in some of your shows and talk about the real you and a lot of your heroes I think were performers like Robin Williams, Bette Midler, Whoopi and Lily and all these great comedic and character performing actors so did that kind of influence you a lot? Uh,
5: Definitely I um, I was drawn to Especially when I, in, you know, throughout high school and college, I was drawn to people that created their own work without knowing that that's what I was going to do. But I was right. fascinated with those people that you just mentioned. Um, and then, so when I realized that my teachers were telling me to butch up and that I was too gay and that I, it was very shameful for me. And that, my, you know, my Bronx accent, I, I was having trouble losing that. Uh, I finally had this realization that if I was ever going to have a career, it was going to be something that I had to create myself, like Bette Midler or Robin Williams. Not that they had to do that, but I don't know what exactly their journeys were. But I recognized right. myself in them, and that I was, that's, that was going to be the only way I was ever going to have a life in the arts. So that's what I started doing.
2: That is so I cool. and I hear that Your character actually has like some roots from Native American culture and then you have a big nod to playwright Charles Bush. Talk about that for a second.
4: Well,
5: when I was deciding, well, I sort of had this realization after I went to see Charles Bush do a show. I had never seen drag outside of bars and um and I could enjoy uh drag and and the lip syncing that I saw in a in a club and and uh, certainly, cheer it and appreciate it, right, but it never resonated with me as that 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 was something I wanted to do um I just was a fan, but when I saw Charles Bush doing drag i um I realized, wow, this is theater, and he's hilarious, and that this is something I could do and it it resonated with me so much so that i i I wanted it, and I said, I'm going to be a drag queen. And as soon as I said that out loud, it was like everything just aligned, and I started writing. And at the same time, I had seen Charles Bush's show, uh, not long after that, I was reading a book about Native American two-spirits. And for the first time in my life, I felt like I had an identity, like that was what I was as a kid. I wasn't male. I wasn't female. I was somehow both. And wow, um, rather than being bullied, as I was, I should have been celebrated. And um, so I decided, well, if nobody else is going to celebrate me, I'll celebrate myself. <laughs> Good for you. So that's awesome. That's I love what I that. did.
2: That is so cool. Well, let's talk about some of your early work. So you started performing in shows. And back then, I guess drag was pretty much relegated to the big cities in New York and L.A. I'm from L.A. area. I say that I've been banished to northeast Ohio. But that's really the only time that you saw – big name drag queens or big drag at all. Was it New York, LA, San Francisco, places like that. But then you kind of started going to the movies and you were, I think one of your first movies, you had Wigstock and Tu Wong Fu. And I think Tu Wong Fu was really the first time you saw drag queens, everything that could be, you saw the pageant aspect of it. You saw these actors and what they go through. How was that for kind of like being one of your first forays into being uh, in the film industry?
5: Uh, tu Wang Fu was a great experience for me. I, being a solo performer, I was often uh, by myself, you know, or I was with other gotcha. performers in the cabaret world. And there were a few drag queens in the cabaret world, but it was mostly, um, you know, singers. And, and I, was, I was one of the few drag queens in that world. So it, I wasn't, my path wasn't crossing a lot with other drag queens. And I didn't go out to some of the big clubs where drag queens were because I was busy promoting myself in the in the venues where I knew people would come and see me. Right. Um, so every now and then I'd you know be at the limelight or somewhere, but it was it, it wasn't a big it was I didn't have a big uh, draw there. So um, *Two Wong Fu* was a great experience not only because I was in a big movie and it was something you know wild to be a part of. But it was really my introduction to other drag queens. And I had so much fun really just sitting around bullshitting with them. uh, And, you know, Joey Arias and and people like that and um, working with Candace Kane. It was wonderful. It was a wonderful experience. And I felt really accepted. I think that's something I've always struggled with in my life is feeling like um, it doesn't surprise me now looking back on my life that I'm a solo performer because I never felt like I fit in. So I always felt um, other, even in my own community. I didn't always feel like I fit in. So doing the Wang Fu, I was really kind of, honestly, scared to be around um, other. And the audition was one of the most frightening experiences I had. Uh, but it worked out well for me. But I was—I remember wanting to flee when I walked really? in the room. Really? Yeah. Wow. I was so intimidated by all those other drag queens and um and you know we're all vying for a part in a in a in a Hollywood movie. You can imagine the intensity of the uh energy yeah I night. guess
2: yeah, you're right you know, yeah, and then they know. asked
5: us to do something that I don't really do, which was like walk a runway and work at it, and people were doing splits and <laughs> crawling and shaking and doing cartwheels, and I don't do that. So I just decided in that moment that I was going to do the opposite of what everybody else was doing and give the director and the choreographer and producers absolutely nothing. I was going to give them nothing. I was going to be like a zombie. And I quick grabbed a plastic cup that was laying nearby, and I used that as my prop, and I pretended I was drinking a cocktail, showing absolutely no emotion, like I could give a shit that I was a part of this pageant, that I could give a shit about anyone in this room. And at the very end I crushed the glass and I turn as I turned around and walked back down the runway, all the queens that were lined up on either side, ready to go next, were saying as I walked by them, Girl, that was fierce. Oh girl, you are too much. Yeah. And I just felt so happy. I didn't give a shit whether or not I had the, the, the movie. I just was so happy that that's these a validation, queens accepted yeah, I can imagine. Me. Wow, yeah. that
2: is validation. Yeah, that's awesome.
5: Yeah, it was
4: great.
2: So cool. And then the first thing I really saw, I didn't, I, I, I didn't know who you were really in Tu Wong Fu or, or, and Wigstock I never saw, but Trick was one of my favorite, one of my first movies that I saw, LGBT movies, and it was so powerful to me. And you had a lot to do with that movie. You were helping in the rights and the rewrites and the casting, at least be in the casting room there. Talk about what Trick was like for you.
5: Trick, *Trick*, um. My friend Jim Fall, who directed it, had written a movie called 88s, which was a cabaret club that I worked in. And um, okay. it was getting a lot of attention, and Nathan Lane and Cindy Lauper and a few other people were all a part of it, and I was a part of that movie. And uh, we would do readings to try and raise money to have it made. At the same time, not long after we were doing this for a number of years, uh, Jim came across a script called Gay Boy. And I read it, and I told Jim, put 88s away, because this is going to be your first movie. And I wasn't even a part of the this, this script called Gay Boy. And uh, right. so he started focusing on that, and he decided to do a reading of that. And I, he asked me if I would help him audition people. And I could have very easily just said, no, I don't really feel like doing that. But thank God I said yes. And I helped him audition people, and at the end of the auditions, uh, he said, would you mind playing the role of Catherine because you're so funny, and I just don't think I've seen any actresses that are as funny as you, and I'll just explain to the audience that a real woman in the movie will play this role. So I said, sure. So I did the reading, and everyone said, you've got to keep the drag queen in the movie. So they wrote me that bathroom scene, and then I said, can I rewrite it and make it funnier? And more in my voice, you know. And I knew that I wanted to put in the line, "It's big, it's beautiful, and you're going to love it," because that's something someone actually said to me one night, and I thought that's hilarious.
4: I'm going to yeah. use that line
5: someday. And I wrote in it burns and all that stuff, and we <laughs> did readings for five years before we got the money finally
0: really? to oh, make wow. the movie.
5: Yeah, but you know, it all came back to the fact I'll never forget that moment when Jim asked me to do that first reading and. I think, God, I could have said no, but I said yes. So I always encourage people to say yes. That's awesome.
2: Yeah, so if anyone's listening has not seen Trick yet, you need, it's usually on Netflix. You need to rent it. It's a great movie. I mean, for me, when I was young at the time, I was, I was new <clears throat> to kind of coming out a little bit and watching it, and it really had a lot of – I, I love that it. it's kind of like I felt – the Christian part. Um, what was his character's name? Um, Gabriel. The, the Gabriel. Yeah, I really felt the Gabriel part. It's like he comes were a whole new thing to me. And you see the, him kind of opening up to it as he meets his
5: the the, the
2: tell everyone's it's about. It's about a a dancer and a kind of a new, well, new it was, scene.
5: Yeah, it was. A, it was just basically about two cute boys. They're kind of opposites that meet each other and they're looking to have a place. They're looking for a place. To have sex because um, neither of them uh, live alone, and that's basically what it's about. And um, but what was sort of I don't want to what was sort of new and refreshing about that movie when it came out was that up until that point there weren't really any gay movies that were just about that. Where it was they were always right. about people coming out. People uh, there were a lot of AIDS movies at the time. Um, you know back in the day, gay characters were committing suicide or you know it's about them being closeted and unhappy. So this was the first or one of the first movies where the gay characters weren't coming out. They were already out, and um, they were looking for, for a place to have sex, and that wasn't shameful. It was sort of cel- celebrating that. Um, You know, youth and being young and in the city and being creative and, you know, wanting to have sex. Exactly. Um, So that's sort of why I think that movie was important for a lot of young people.
2: Yeah, because it made it normal. It made it seem like it, what you were going through was a normal thing. There was lots of people out there, too. That's what I kind of meant by that. I said it very artfully. You did very well there. But yeah, I, th- I thought it was great. I think for the time, it was something that you need to see because you just didn't see it. And I was I was very new exactly. to Now
5: Exactly. Nowadays, LGBT the young kids take it for... Not, I shouldn't say they take it for granted. Some of them, I'm sure, do. Some of them probably appreciate uh, what others did uh, to get them where they are today. But... Um, that certainly was a, a movie that I think resonated with a lot of young people, and I've gotten so many emails and comments from people who told me just that—that that they, you know, they saw it on video, or they went to the, you know, they snuck into the movies or whatever to see this movie <laughs> and how much it meant to them. And and I'll let you know that um, they're writing um, Trick Two at the moment, uh, which would, really? if it if it actually ever happens, it's about what happens to all of those characters 20 years later how their lives have oh, changed. Oh, that
2: would be – I don't even know how excited I am about that all of a sudden. I'm ready to do it <laughs> for the Kickstarter today. That is so cool. I love that. What's well, kind of Me changed Here's a little bit into your activism. You and I are kind of at the same age. I think we're like maybe a year apart. So we grew up in the whole age crisis and being scary and new and out when all that was really scary and new and out. And you've just dedicated a lot of your time – back in the day to that, and you're so good with teen homelessness now and bullying. Talk about how the activism came about to you.
5: Well, I wanted to be an activist before I did drag, and I I remember I went to my first ACT UP meeting at the New York City Gay and Lesbian Center, and um, I was too young, or maybe I was too immature. I just couldn't take it on. It was so angry, and people were so sick that it just terrified me and i walked out of there really disappointed in myself knowing that i w- i couldn't take it on i wanted to be big enough to take it on and i just knew i couldn't it was so overwhelming to me and mm-hmm. i get overwhelmed with emotion very easily you know depending on what the situation is but that was no, a lot no, for me you. to take on and um and i thought well what can i do and i and i realized that part of the way I always sort of related to people, and people, was by storytelling, by telling them about my life, and I just figured that, well, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to be a storyteller, and I'm going to change people's minds, and then, you know, and then the drag decision to make it a a drag show and and all it all just sort of came together and I had this vision and I knew what was going to work out and and then I you know and then of course I started the show and it it kind of became an overnight success and then I was asked to do a lot of AIDS uh, benefits which I was so thrilled to be a part of because I thought this I'd made the right choice I I couldn't be a part of AIDS but I'm, I I I am so I did a lot of um AIDS charities and benefits back in the day and uh even performed in hospitals for patients that were dying. And and, and one awesome. of them was in a jail. I performed in a hospital but the one floor I forget what Saint Saint, I forget the name of the hospital. Joseph. I don't remember but it they had a floor that was a jail. Really? A wow. through, yeah and they'd open the bars and you'd walk through and you Yeah, it was just like being in a jail <laughs> except a in this hospital uh, room.
2: That would have made my red wig curl just a little bit more while you do that. I would be a little yeah. <laughs> so it was it was
5: it was men who um incarcerated. And um and there was this cute Puerto Rican guy and he was so attracted to me which was new to me. I didn't understand that whole world at the time. And he was looking me up and down, and he just said, oh, Coco, 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 (laughs) Coco, And I actually remember thinking, that's hilarious. I'm putting that in my show. um, I love it. In a lot of my earlier shows, whenever I would be thinking to myself, I'd say, oh, Coco, Coco, Coco. And that became a thing in New York that people would always say. But it was because of that guy.
2: That is funny. And then yeah. you've done so much good work for the LGBT Center in Los Angeles doing your conversation with Coco. And I definitely want to talk about the possible pilot that you just did a little bit ago. But talk about those early days. You really helped a lot with the team. You were kind of focused in on teen homelessness back then and did some conversations <clears throat> with some amazing people. You had B. Arthur, Jane Fonda, Allison Janney, Liza, so many people. Talk about how that came about.
5: Well, it came about because um, there was a guy that worked at the center that actually had the idea, and um, and I was interviewed. I was actually uh, someone else interviewed. But, sure, let's do it. So I got B. Arthur, who I knew at the time, as, as she was a friend, to be the first guest. And then uh, she agreed to do it and then, like, was driving me crazy. But, um, so we, we did the first one together, and then the center realized that this could be a real uh money maker for them as far as raising funds for the center right so they um they said let's continue this let's move this forward so um we uh then i forget who did the second one but we charles bush actually did one with me as well so um it's been a wonderful way for um us to raise money and make people aware of uh that you know that there are kids that get kicked out of their homes or uh You know, just don't have the sort of fortunate upbringing that I did. I mean, listen, I had my struggles, uh, certainly, growing up. But um, when I did come out, my parents made sure that I was safe. And they came to see my first show, and I was Coco. And it wasn't – I mean, they wanted to see it, but – they were more concerned that people were going to throw tomatoes at me. This is true. My Aww. mother actually thought people were going to throw tomatoes Aww. at me for talking openly about being gay. So they sat right in the front so that if anybody tried to throw a tomato, <laughs> they would <laughs> stop them.
2: <laughs> they were your human shields. I love that. Oh, my yes. goodness. How crazy. Yeah, not de- there's definitely not a lot of L- parents.
5: Yeah, I was very, yeah. very lucky.
2: Wow. And then you were a big activist. You helped do a lot of benefits for Proposition 8 and everything. And you actually got married to your husband in Spain where it was legal. Was it kind of crazy how fast marriage came across here in the U.S.? And are you guys going to renew your vows here? Or Talk about marriage. What does that mean?
5: Well, we we when we came back, and, and then, of course, gay marriage was passed here, we were sort of in this limbo. No one knew what we were. And um,
4: Uh, basically,
5: then I think Schwarzenegger, and one of the last things he did before he left office here was to sign in something that recognized the marriages of people that had been married overseas. So we were covered. So we don't have to remarry here because um, it's just just recognized. It's like any straight couple that gets married, say, in Italy, they have a destination wedding. They don't remarry here. They're just – their marriage is recognized. Um, So – that's that's where we fell in under that, and
4: Very
5: um, cool. yeah, it's so funny. I remember, you know, walking, you know, doing marches for gay marriage and and uh, God and benefits and and then when it actually happens, you're sort of still surprised that it. Well, did this really happen? And I'm I'm thrilled that it has.
2: Oh yeah, it's amazing. And, and like you said, it's a, it was such a big deal, and then it happened so quickly. I think it was almost like a wow. It was it was it was, it was yeah. easier than we thought, and it was really real and everything. It's it's still a little and crazy. And I
5: remember I'll tell you will tell you a story when I when I first came out to LA to work. This, so this was in '99 when Trick came out. There was some other proposition about gay marriage that was coming up for a vote here in California. I don't remember what it what it was called back then. But I was asked to do this I was asked to speak at this big event where there were gonna be celebrities and whatnot. And I my husband actually came out that weekend we weren't of course married at the time, but he came out that weekend to visit me and I told him I said, Listen, I I know you're here to visit me and we're gonna have a nice time, but I need to really sit down and write this. I was asked to do this and since this may affect our future, I feel like I wanna really do this and write something powerful. And um, so I worked the whole weekend on this, and I um, I was going to have to like arrange for him to get the airport on his own because I was going to be getting dressed up. So it was a lot. And um, last minute, I was called by the organizers and told that I was no longer uh, going to be um, allowed to speak at the event because a because a politician had decided he was going to come. And therefore, there was going to be a lot of press, and they didn't think it would be a good idea for a drag queen to be speaking on the same platform as a politician when there's press there. Mm, and I was angry. furious. <laughs> I don't blame you. I me. Oh, screamed goodness. and I yelled and I kicked and I told them this is the very reason why we will lose this proposition is when we turn on ourselves to please mm. other people. And I've always felt that. I was so angry, and of course, they lost, we lost that right. that go around. But um, that's sort of what's so inspiring now for me with this younger generation is that that they are growing up in a world where I hope they don't take it take it for granted, and they realize the right. struggle. But that they um, they sort of I hope hopefully don't feel shame and feel like oh well we have to cater to a certain You know, no, that was part of my reason for doing drag was because I wasn't going to put up with it anymore. I was going to own 100% of my gayness and celebrate it and not settle for anything less but the best for myself. I love uh, it. Yeah, I, I mean, I feel really fortunate that I've been so lucky and that it has paid off for me. But I just think you have to have integrity. And when they called me that day, I just was so... It made my skin crawl that these gays could turn on their own to sort of please a politician and the press rather than have me speak and have it be powerful. And people think wow, that's a, a drag queen saying that. Like, I don't know. I just, I just felt like it was really sleazy.
2: Yeah, I don't blame you. That, that is not good. I, don't want to, yeah. I'm a very I think we've sh- evolved. I
5: hope we've evolved since then.
2: I think we have overall. I think we're still learning. We still have a little bit of bi erasure. We still have a couple issues with transphobia coming through, but it, we are slowly moving forward. But I think the uh, yeah, and I'll the,
5: I'll tell you something about that transphobia. Years ago, when I started Coco, and for a number of years, the trans community and the drag community, you know, we often worked side by side, and we were friends and sisters and. We all sort of fell under that trans umbrella. We understood that we're all dealing with our gender issues and working through them on different levels. And there was a mutual respect there. And I did an event in, uh, in a college, and there was a trans young trans girl who caused a big stink that I was coming to the campus because I was a drag queen, and she found it insulting. Mm. And I just thought, boy, that really you know, and I had hoped that she would come to the event so that I could speak in part of the work I've done and why we shouldn't be on opposite sides of the fence, and what makes her experience dealing with her gender uh, any more important or any more valid than what I'm dealing with. It's just sure. a different experience. It doesn't mean one's more valuable than the other. So I often feel like drag queens. We we get kicked around a lot, but we still, you know. Right. still will show up and put on a show. Still anyway. keep kicking,
2: that's for sure. <laughs> well, it's it, it's much appreciated, believe me. And let's go back a little bit to – to um, I want to go back to your conversation with Coco, but we'll talk about YouTube for a second. You have an amazing YouTube channel. Your little walks through Target and Kmart and Walgreens are getting, like, hundreds of thousands of views, which is so much fun. And I'm also meeting you today, go and watch Coco two years ago – the Queen Mary. It's October and Halloween time. That was a funny video, my friend. That was a funny
5: it video. Was, it was terrifying. I haven't done a video in a long time, but I should get back out there and do a video. Um, well, but, uh, we have
2: the new The show. Halloween talk one about was
5: fun. Show.
2: The, the Halloween is hilarious, and I'm playing yeah. it on my social media today. But talk about this. You have went and did a Kickstarter campaign. You're going to bring, hopefully, conversations with Coco to a regular medium, to a mainstream medium or Netflix, or something like that, you had a fundraising Kickstarter that got over 25,000 more than you've we been asking for. This is how much this is being sought after and people. Talk about that.
4: Well, the whole
5: experience, I tell you, was overwhelming. I, I hate asking for help. And so right. to ask my fans to contribute to a Kickstarter, it was really uncomfortable for me, but I did it. I, t- I, I remember to say yes. And i I just forged ahead and and did it and um and then you know the whole process has just been t- terrifying to me but i i i did it and and they've edited something together, and um now they're gonna take that into i guess different places and if it goes um the nice thing is that uh I'd have a career now maybe where I'd get to sit more often <laughs> and not travel as go. much but um Fingers but also yeah a percentage of the of the show would still go to the gay and lesbian center's homeless youth program, so we made sure that um the center would be included in the future of the show if it ever moved forward. So I'm kind of excited about that. The show still has a has activism you know attached to it. Amazing. I
2: love that. I promised 30 minutes. We've already gone over that. But let's talk about oh. your tour. You're coming to my city. I'm so excited. This weekend, Sunday, you're coming to Columbus. There's only 12 tickets left, but talk Not about the show. Sunday.
5: A, oh, yes. This, it's it's the, tw- the 16th. Yeah, okay.
2: <laughs> I, we, I get we're, confused.
5: We're, I'm old now.
2: That's okay. You know, I know how it goes. No problem. I'm the same way. We're, we'll just edit that anyway don't worry about it (laughs) because you gotta you gotta spend time and space in some of these interviews i'm going to show it on monday so the show will be on monday for next sunday there we go uh okay let me go back so you're going to be this sunday you're going to be in my neck of the woods columbus ohio bringing your brand new show a gentle reminder coco's guide to somewhat happy life i hear it's getting rave reviews my friend talk about this new show a second
5: i um was inspired to write the show because I get so many emails from people asking me for advice, and not just like goofy advice, but real serious life advice. So I thought, how interesting that people see me, a drag queen, as the, some sort of you know, guru that would actually be able to give them advice. And a lot of that's because I think my YouTube videos, people see me out in the world not caring what anybody thinks about me. Um, And I think people are kind of inspired by that, by that, especially teenage girls. So I have this whole new fan base of teenage girls that sometimes get to come see my show because their moms will bring them. But so based on that uh, idea, I wrote this show of of, uh, these steps to take to have a somewhat happy life, because I can't promise you a happy life, but you can be somewhat happy. (laughs) And... uh, and the great thing is that people are you know writing to me after the show or coming up to me after the show, saying things like how they needed to hear that message or what parts of the shows resonated with them and um and it's not all uh comedy you know i I get serious at points during the show so um it's and i there's one section of the show where I talk about uh stonewall in, in in a sort of serious way of something that happened to me when I was young, but what's really inspiring is that the young, like 20-year-old gay guys are coming up to me talking about that and how they want to know about their history, their gay history, so it's been exciting on all different levels of of the kind of comments I'm getting about this show.
2: That is amazing. I'm so excited for you, so excited to show. I'm bringing my good friend Bob. Bob is about... Oh, maybe 10 years older than both of I, and he's been doing drag longer than you. He goes by Crystal Star, and we're going to go to the little private meet-and-greet you're doing afterwards. But he is just such a huge fan that we are so looking forward to this Sunday night. It's going to be amazing.
5: Well, I can't re- wait to meet Crystal, so you better make sure you introduce me to her. I will definitely
2: let you, uh, yeah, Crystal and Bob uh, – by, but
5: we'll be there even if Bob shows bed up, bed she'll bed. always be Crystal to me. Let's, let's be real.
2: <laughs> in fact, we have to go a day early because Columbus has one of her favorite wig shops, and she wants to go back and do a little more performing. So we have to go be at one of these wig shops in Columbus the day before. So we're going to be there, and of course, the casino. There's a casino in Columbus, and can't get her away from the damn casino. So Crystal is there a casino?
5: Huh? There is. Oh, I might you join look, us. You I, I join might, because you know what? I don't gamble. I don't. I don't get any kick out of it. But what I do get a kick out of is just walking around people watching. And it's if I go, it's a nice I use, I'd like around. to go to casinos in drag because then not only do I get to people watch, people watch me. So it's this whole like give and take.
2: Oh, after so, the show, we're going to go have a cocktail at the bar at the casino. Bob and I oh, are taking you out. Oh, please, let's do that. It will be fun. It will be fun. Oh, and maybe goodness, the whole
5: audience thing. can join us. That would be great. <laughs> Everyone might be so we'll take amazing. over the bar.
2: <laughs> I love it. It's a huge bar, too. We would have so much fun. They actually are very supportive. It's, it's called Hollywood Casino, and they actually um, hosted one of the nights prior to Pride. They were a big contributor to Pride this year in Columbus, and they are wow. very LGBT friendly. They did a drag show at the casino to raise money for Pride. So they are very LGBT friendly there, too,
5: which is well, really cool. I will say so we this, though. I will say this. There is an after party. At, a, at oh. one of the bars. So I, I'm probably actually not going to be able to go to the casino. I'm going to go to the after party that they're having for me at this um, – God, I can't remember the name of it now. How embarrassing. I told you I'm old, but you can, you can look it I up online. It up, but I didn't look it up. You should I'll look it, it up, it up and, and, add it and add it to this interview. I will add it
2: to the show. I will add it to the interview here. But I might go so. to
5: the casino the night before then.
2: There you go. Well,
5: I will, I, will
2: send you, I will email you out my uh, – Phone number. You can text us because Bob and I All are going right. to be there early yes. Saturday morning. We'll go from there. But, but anyway, I want to thank you so much for coming on. I'm really looking forward to your show. Thanks for being part of the Left of Straight Show, Coco.
5: Thank you, and thank you for your support. And I'll, I look forward to meeting you Sunday. Me as well. It'll but be thank like you very much. Go it'll ahead. It'll be, it'll be a drag mass.
2: There you go. That will be I like love that. I love that.
5: Exactly. All right, sweetheart. I
2: love it. All right. Well, thank you. you. Stand the line for us, Coco. We're going to be right back. You're listening to Left of Straight Show. We have the amazing Miss Coco Peru. We're going to play a little bit of Brandon and James here. This is their Unchained Melody. You're listening to Left of Straight Show. Be back in just a couple of moments. Day, he began dancing at age four and was creating choreography at 14 years old. As performing at the national showbiz dance competition since age eight, he went from there to performing as a dance group on Star Search to eventually winning it all on the very first season of So You Think You Can Dance. He's shown such amazing talent and grace on stage, and he continues that amazing work now with the National Touring Company of Shaping Sound, a company he co-founded with some of his best friends. I'm so happy to bring him to the show. Please welcome Nick
6: Glazerini. Nick, how you doing, man? I am f- fantastic. Thank you, Scott. That was an incredible uh, introduction. I need you as my hype man everywhere I go. That was amazing.
2: You are an incredible uh, dancer, my friend, and just an incredible person. I mean, everything you do is so cool. I see you kids, when I see you post things from your jump things, I mean, you just really embody what I think dance and art is supposed to be all about. So I am so impressed with you, and thanks for taking the time to come on.
6: Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me.
2: What started beginning, for those of my fans out there and listeners that are not as huge a fan as I am of you, talk about the beginning. You grew up in Northern California there, and you started dancing pretty early what uh, started that? Was it uh, hyper, <laughs> hyperactive? Did mom want you out of the house to get that energy
6: out, or what made you interest so early? You know, my mom loves to tell this story. Um, I was one of those kids that, you know, she signed up for soccer. I was the one doing cartwheels out in the field. I signed up for t-ball. <laughs> I didn't really like t-ball. So My mom was actually signing me out of soccer. Um, I was about four or five years old, and um, we were at the recreation center in, at my local Um, I guess gymnasium or wherever we were doing it at and um, she was signing me out of soccer and there was a dance class happening in one of the rooms and I was just mesmerized. and my mom was like what's going on in there, what is that and I was like I don't know but I want to do it and so my mom signed me out of soccer, signed me up for dance and um, I did like two classes it was like a two week little class thing it was really fun and I loved it and um, a couple weeks later I was in kindergarten And my kindergarten teacher was like, "Uh, you know, we need a dancing robot for our big, you know, Christmas musical that we're doing. Does anybody take dance classes in here? And I was like, the first one to put my hand up. I was like, yeah, I'm a dancer. So I told my mom, and she was like, Nick, you've taken two classes before. What are you thinking? I was like, yeah, but i got this. I'm fine. I'm a dancer now. And so my mom freaked out, and she went in the yellow pages and found the nearest dance school that was uh, closest to my house and Sign me up for classes, and the rest is kind of history. That is so cool. I love that. And then at eight <laughs> years old, you're going to these
2: showbiz, these are national competitions. What was that very first competition like? That had to be crazy.
6: Uh, well, the first nationals that I ever went to is with my dance studio. And we were, um, a, you know, a local dance studio in Northern California. And I don't think any of us really knew what we were kind of stepping into when we went to this big national dance competition and I just remember Mm -hmm. seeing all of the all the other studios there and they were just incredible and they were so much better than we were and I just remembered I think you know me and a couple of the the other kids were just like wow like how do we get that good and so I think it definitely motivated us um when we left we got our butts whooped of course but uh I think it (laughs) kind of motivated um my teacher and the other teachers in the school that were there and I think um, a couple of the dancers too. We just all kind of were motivated to be better, and I think that kind of propelled us into kind of taking that next step as a dance school and and not being just so like there, there's two different kinds of dance schools. There's like recreational, which are kind of like we call dolly dinkle schools, which are you know, <laughs> gotcha. schools kind of do it for you know the, the the dance schools that kind of do it for fun and you know they're not very serious and that's kind of how we were. And I think after seeing all those amazing dancers, I think it kind of shifted our studio into being more competitive and uh, we trained more we took more ballet, we took more dance classes, we were more serious about, you know, rehearsals and, and being great. And I think that that really helped, you know, make us better, obviously, and it right. kind of made me figure out what I wanted to do and how serious I wanted to take my dancing.
2: Now, you were trained in jazz, lyrical, hip-hop, ballet, modern. Did you even, how do you even know those exist? I mean, did they just start in class, kind of go, we're going to go through this, this, this? Or how do those even happen?
6: Well, when you start off, um, especially when you're younger, um, most dance studios have ballet, jazz, tap classes. and so They're like 45 minutes long, and it's 15 minutes of ballet, 15 minutes of jazz, 15 minutes of tap. And those are kind of like standards of dance. Like Those, those are the three that you want you know, your littlest dancers to be training in because those are like the three foundations of dance. Ballet has been around for the longest. It, it teaches you about you know, the placement of your body and how it works. Um, and then jazz teaches you kind of how to move your feet and how to you know, perform and how to travel and how to dance, how we like to call full out, which is like big and hard and strong. And then tap teaches gotcha. you rhythm. It teaches you coordination, and it teaches you how to count music. So I think that those are the three pillars of, like, when you want to teach younger dancers how to dance, those are the three that you start with. Then from there, we can start going into, once you get, like, a good, solid foundation in those three, then you start taking modern, then you start taking lyrical, then you start taking contemporary. But those are the three that are are the most important, and that's how I kind of started off with dancing.
2: Very cool. Then
6: you're like 17 years old when you land the cover of
2: dance spirit magazine, which is a pretty big deal. How did that come about?
6: Uh, I was at a, I was actually at Showbiz nationals actually. um, And there was a, um, an editor there from dance spirit magazine. And she had picked um, three dancers. I believe it was from three different nationals to kind of do like a cover story on how, how these dancers prepare for nationals and, and how their nationals went. And they uh, showbiz, the, com- the competition actually chose me to do it. And uh, the editor that was there liked me so much that um, they were like, you know, what, we're going to actually put these pictures that we took in the desert, which was crazy. It was like 105 degrees out there. And I was in <laughs> you know, a black dance outfit and I was dying. But they loved oh me the so much that they were like, you know what, we're probably going to use these for the cover. So I was like, wow, that's, that's actually pretty cool. So um, I just remember, you know, getting the cover in the mail and thinking, like, wow, I'm on the cover of a dance magazine. That's pretty cool.
2: That's awesome. I love that. And then you go from there and you start this dance group that's hot under the collar for Star Search. Now, that was, this was the remake of Star Search, right? So it's been around a bit. You know what the odds are. How did that uh, – How was that your first – I mean, you're in, you're in kind of a company when you're in dance school, right, because you guys kind of do – things together and separate so was it a big right. change to go to a like the hot under the collar what was the difference between that and dance school
6: no well I actually got hooked up with that group hot under the collar because of um a dance teacher that and a choreographer that I had kind of worked with and grew up um taking class with at dance convention And he called my dance teacher up and was like, Hey, uh, you know, the producers for star search want me to put together a group and I want, I want to do a trio. Um, and so he had two other dancers lined up and he wanted to know if I wanted to join the group. And I was like, of course, yeah, that's amazing. And, um, I've, I'd known the other two dancers, um, that he wanted to, uh, partner us up with. And I was like, yeah, of course, we're all friends. That would be so much fun. And, Uh, we worked for about a week down in LA before we, uh, went to the producers and showed them what we had. And they were like, great. We love you. We're going to put you on the show. And, um, we kind of went from there. It was kind of a bummer though. We, we were really good. I mean, I I hate to say that, but we were really good. We probably (laughs) should have gotten a little bit farther, um, than we, we actually ended up getting, but it was really fun. and, And I actually met a couple of, um, friends that, uh, I have still now, like they're best friends now um, that I had met doing star search. Um, They were other contestants on the show and we kind of just became buddies. And um, my friend, Randy, she's amazing. Her mom actually helped sew some of our costumes. So she, she's now like one of my best friends. And yeah, the dance world is super small. So I have friends that, you know, I met like Travis wall. He and I met when we were kids at a dance competition and we've been best friends ever since. So when you go I heard that, like, nine or something. You. Where did, do, were yeah, you guys even in yeah, close yeah, proximity was, as far as living-wise or just through dance? Nope. We lived on different coasts. He grew up in uh, Virginia Beach, and I grew up in Northern California, and we met at a national competition when he was nine and I was 12. And um, we just kind of hit it off. I remember I had never seen another really great guy dancer before, um, and right. him and his brother Danny, who was also on the show, Danny Tidwell, I mean, they were incredible. I'd, I'd never seen another guy dancer that was, that was great like, like I was. So I remember I was a little nervous, and I was a little scared because I thought they were going to beat me. And so my mom was like, you know what, why don't you just go up to them and talk to them? So I was like, okay. So I went up and talked to them, and uh, they were super nice, and their mom, Denise, was super nice. And we all just kind of hit it off, and like I said, we've all been friends ever since.
2: Very nice. Now talk about, now you're in your 20s, your late teens, early 20s. Where does dancing turn from becoming fun as a kid to a job and still able to keep it fun? How does that happen? Because you're starting to tour Europe now. You're working in San Francisco for two years at a dance company there. And it's now a job. How do you keep that fun alive for it? Or are there times where it's not? (laughs)
6: Um, you know, I think it's like any job, you know, there are times when you love it and there are times when it definitely feels like a job. Um, I think that I've, I've been very lucky to work jobs and to work with choreographers that I really, um, look up to and that I really, um, you know, believed in. Um, and I was very lucky. Um, I actually started working, um, professionally when I was 13 Um, I was doing a a PBS, like, Barney show that my dance teacher was uh, the choreographer on. And she hired me to be one of, like, the little Barney kids. And, yeah, I was 13 years old, dancing like I was a 9-year-old. So, of course, like, that wasn't the best (laughs) job in the world or the most fun job. But it was cool. I got to, you know, be on a TV set. And I got to kind of understand the ins and outs of filming and camera work and things that, you know, now I know – and now that I'm older and I've, I've worked on other jobs and bigger jobs, I I kind of can look back on that time when I was 13 and, and learning all that stuff, and I, I, I know it, which is great. Um, I didn't have to, you know, learn it on the fly when I was, you know, 20 years old in L.A. So um, I'm, I was really thankful to grow up with great teachers that gave me opportunities like that, and um, just being able to work at a young age was – it was super cool. My, my parents were actually pretty poor. We didn't grow up with a lot of money. And so by the time I started working professionally, it was kind of the perfect time because I don't know if I would have been able to keep dancing if, you know, my parents had to pay for it all. So
4: I started oh, kind of making my dance
6: when I was 13.
0: Yeah,
2: thank you. That's great.
6: Now, how do you... What motivates
2: you at that age? is it searching try to get better and better for it or what what's kind of the motivation that keeps you doing it from from a young age and keep going? Is it the striving to get better is it, is it the collaboration the people you're working with is it all of the above? what really keeps you motivated from young even now
6: to uh to a little been doing it now for
2: quite a few years?
6: yeah I think it's a little bit of everything. I think that it's definitely me wanting to be better. Um, you know, I was teaching this past weekend in Providence, Rhode Island. And I was telling the the older dancers, the teenagers that were at the convention, I was like, you know, you can't be a great dancer just by, you know, being in class, you know, and just being in the room, you know, you have to want to be a great dancer. And I think that that always pushed me to just keep learning and to keep being uh, you know, engaged in class and wanting to be the best in class and wanting to be the best dancer that I could possibly be. And I think that's the coolest thing about dance is that the older you get, yeah, your body might not be able to do all the crazy stuff that, you know, I was able to do when I was 18 or 19 years old, but I'm smarter now. You know so much more about your body. You know so much more about dance. And I think that's the, one of the coolest, you know, things about dance is that you can always learn more. You can always be better no matter how old you are. Um, you can always get better and you can always know more. Um, So I think that's definitely a a driving factor, you know, in in me and why I dance and why I'm still dancing. And um, of course, being in Shaping Sound now with my own dance company, you know, I really believe in this work because it's our own. And, um, you know, I'm getting to dance with my best friends and I'm getting to create on my friends. And being in an environment that's so supportive and um, so creative um, and being able to perform and kind of share what we've created and this this passionate, amazing show that we have now, um, it's really special. And I think that that is another motivating factor, just getting to share um, what I love to do with other people.
2: That it's so true. It's, it's such an
6: amazing dance company that
2: you guys have put together. I saw it all the way from Oxygen all the way through, and I want to get – to that kind of heavy core, but let's start with, so you think again can ask, that was a big launching point for you. Um, it looks mm-hmm. like it's going to have a new season again this year. That's pretty exciting.
6: Yep. Yeah, they're um, not doing the kids this year. They're doing the normal uh, the normal like older, you know, 18 and over dancers, which is going to be nice. I, I thought the kids were great last year, but I thought that the the, I don't know, I just thought the, the maturity and um you know, some of the, the things that people really loved about, so you think, like, you know, feeling emotional, you know, seeing, you know, two people it. Dance about love. was I got to tell you for me, and it's kind of strange. I've been
2: such a fan from day one, from watching all, you and uh, your entire group start through every season, but I felt, and this is a bad word, but I felt almost a little pervy because you're like, you're watching these kids do <laughs> but you're so used to the interactions that you guys have all done, and, you, and you've come to see this expressions. You can't expect yeah. a young kid to do. And so it was kind of yeah. strange to watch last season, and I honestly didn't make it all the way through. But, so I'm kind of excited <laughs> to see it go back to the adults.
6: It's okay. You know what? I'll, I'll let you know a little secret. I haven't been through a, a full season of So You Think, probably since I was on it. So it, no worries. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I have a hard time watching the show just because they, they, they kind of stray away from like, dancer and they 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 really like put into like the favorite dancer thing and to me like right. that's great but when you have somebody well i'll use this as an example you know when travis lost to benji i'm like okay like travis can dance circles around benji Schwimmer. how did he not win the show like right. it's, it's not like being a dancer and being being i don't know being in the mindset of a dancer like you watch that show sometimes and you're just like oh like that was so mediocre and the judges are like oh my gosh that was the best thing i've ever seen and you're like that would get a gold that that performance would get a gold at a at a dance competition if you understand dance competitions we adjudicate so we do like silver high silver gold high gold platinum high platinum diamond first booha like and so that they wouldn't have even made like the middle tier of what we do so it's like to me a lot of the times i'm like it, it's it's frustrating to watch the show because they kind of promote mediocrity but then they also yeah. have moments of like oh my gosh that's amazing but it's more times than not that you that you find yourself going wow like like that wasn't very good but yet the judges are like oh that was
0: the best thing
6: ever you're the best blah 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 and i'm just <laughs> like, oh God. They're just saying it for ratings, you know, so being a dance, uh, you know, a dancer, it's just kind of, it's hard to watch the show sometimes. And I know a lot of dancers feel that way. And, right. um, but, and I can understand great, that because
2: like I said, I'm, I'm not one that watching from the outside, I don't know as much. And so you really don't know what they're saying and you don't really understand it at all. So as a dancer, I can imagine it'd be very frustrating because you know exactly what they're talking about and know yeah, if exactly. they're, if they're doing it for ratings, if they're doing it for real to get you, to get you motivated. Right. Right. But your season, but I mean,
6: season, you I, only got the I bottom three one time.
2: Through. You did that amazing, oh, my God, I just can't. As, being a non-person to me, it was the big spinny move in the middle. I love the spinny <laughs> move in the, the middle with the highlight mood. kick at the end. And uh, just uh, it, was, it was the most phenomenal save routine, I think, of the season. And the only time it you're in true. there, how good. And you were smiling the entire time. How do you smile in something like that when you're in? A position of, this, of week two of possibly being eliminated. How were you able to
6: do that? You know, well, the, we kind of got the kiss of death, me and my partner. we
4: The kiss of death
6: exactly. It's a joke on the show, and it's an ongoing joke on the show even now, is when you get quick step, when you get the, the ballroom-style quick step, it is the kiss of death. Every person <laughs> that gets quick step yep. always ends up in the bottom. For some ungodly reason, every single time you end up in the bottom. So we were kind of – we kind of knew me and my partner that we were probably going to be in the bottom just because our routine was not very good. Um, And for me, I think it was, uh, I was excited about getting the chance to really show off what I do best because the first week of, so you think I was, I think I did hip hop, which wasn't really my thing. You had the bad draw compared
2: to some of those people in there. I mean, Marco get, you got some bad draws, my friend.
6: I did. Yeah. Especially towards the beginning. So I think that, me getting to do my solo in that second week was actually one of the best things for me because then people really got to see, you know, who I was as a dancer and what I could do. And I think that that really helped propel me through the rest of the competition because the rest of the competition, I didn't, I wasn't in the bottom line, which was great. So I think that that really helped um, build a fan base. And I think that that really helped um, people know who I was and, and what I could do as a dancer. And I think that they obviously, so. Uh, you Thank amazing you all the way me through, but
2: that one, that save routine was just amazing. I could still see that silver shirt flipping up to this day of those spins. It was just <laughs> freaking amazing. Now, you come to the final against one of your best friends, against Melody. How hard was that for
6: both of you guys? I think it was more of a relief to be done with the show. Um, it was a long, long process. But they actually brought us in two weeks before the show had even started airing, like the live shows, Um, they had a whole different um, format to the show. There was, like, scoring, and, like, every week we had to improv and dance for our life. It was just, it was a totally different show. And we filmed the show, and Nigel came back and was like, the network hates it. I hate it. We're sending you guys home for two weeks. Remember your dances. We're going to revamp the show, and we'll bring you back. So then two weeks later, they bring us back, and that's, when the, that's the show that we all know and love now. But before that, it was just – it was totally different. And so it was a little bit longer than I think any of us expected to be on. Um, I don't think we knew what to expect when we were on the show.
4: You know, nowadays,
6: you know, people are training and doing ballroom and doing clumping and doing all this stuff to prepare. Right, Where we right. were
4: like, you know,
6: when they told us that we were doing ballroom, we were like, what shoes do we wear? What do we wear to a ballroom? <laughs> what ballroom? Like, like what kind I of ballroom? Imagine. Oh, my goodness. Ballroom? Like, yeah, it was just, it was totally, totally just blind. That's how we all felt when we were on the show, which was kind of fun that way. Um but I think like I said, it was more of a relief. Um and it was more of a relief that it was the that it was the two of us at the end. I think that if if either her or I didn't make it to the finals, I think we would have been a little bums because um we were best friends and I think that I thought that she was the best answer there and I think she thought that I was the best answer there. So um I think it was a relief that it was down to the two of us. And um you know, if I lost I wouldn't have wanted to lose to anybody but her and I think she felt the same way so I think it it all kind of played out you know how we wanted it to
2: that's amazing I love that now um, Travis came back and started choreographing pretty early back after his season you didn't really come back to you were like an all-star in nine what were were you just too busy with your own stuff or what kind of was it a good break for you just to kind of be on your own
6: I kind of noticed it for a little bit yeah um i kind of got in trouble <laughs> i got Uh-oh. in trouble with one of the producers because i during the second season one of my friends ben got voted off for improving a solo and the judges kind of hammered him for it and this is like before i think they knew like what improv was and they couldn't like they couldn't grab the concept of like like why didn't you prepare for your solo like that's rude and like all this stuff so I called up one of the producers and I was like, "Hey, not to be a total jerk, but you guys look stupid tonight on the, on on the show. <laughs> the fact that you I guys that. told like one of your best dancers that like, it was rude for him not to prepare a solo because he wanted to improv. Like, improv is part of dance. And I was like, you guys just looked really dumb. And ever since then, it's been a little icy with me and a couple of the producers. But we've smoothed things That's out funny, since then. But I respect um, that I, so much. I would
2: respect that for you sticking up for your friend and for being able to say well, that. Well, I
6: just, I just thought it was ridiculous. He was one of the best dancers they had on the show. And he didn't get a chance to really do his thing because, you know, you guys hammered him for doing his thing. So I, I don't know. It was one of those, like, it was one of those ooh moments that just made me go, huh, that doesn't seem right. And then of course, when Travis lost to, <laughs> when Travis lost to Benji, I was actually there at the taping. And when they announced that Travis lost, I kind of got up and I just left. I was like, Oh God. So I think I got a little bit in trouble for that too. So I, I'm a little bit of a hothead. I'm Italian. I can't really hold back. Like, <laughs> um, Like I have, like my face is not the one that like can fake things. Like you can, you know what I'm feeling like by looking at my face. So, um, I I got a little bit in trouble with that in my earlier days, but I'm older and I'm wiser now and we've all kind of, yeah, we've, we've, we've mended fences and it's been great. The last couple of times that I've been on the show has been wonderful and, um, they've been super sweet to me and, um, I would like to be on the show a little more. I think that it would be cool to maybe choreograph one day or even, you know, be an all-star again. All-starring is really fun. Um, but yeah, I'm not, I I, I do like, of course, like the show helps to propel me in my career. I'm always thankful for them. And, um, I will never forget my time on the show. It's just sometimes I, I, I question what happens on the show and then I get in trouble. <laughs>
2: That's okay. I like passion. Passion is good and and I can understand from their sta- from a producer's standpoint where they get miffed, but from a, totally. a fan of the show or from a fellow dancer, I think that's pretty admirable. I think you, uh, it's something that you should be proud of. You always want to fight for it. Wow, if you don't fight you. for yourself and for your friends, and who you're really fighting for. So I like that. That's awesome. Amen. Thank you. All right. Well, let's, with that, we're going to take a quick little break here. Let's uh, go ahead and Play of our buddy Matt Van Fossen. He's got a new album coming out next week. We're going to country here. This is where you're going to run to. Now you're listening to Nick Lazarini from Shaping Sound. Right here on the left of straight. we will be back in just a couple of minutes. Sun coming up, With
0: Virginia. How? The that you
2: back. That is Matt Van Fossen. Where are you going to run to now? His new album is available next week. We're going to have him on the show in two weeks. I'm pretty excited about that. Guys, we're talking to dance superstar Nick Lazzarini from Shaping Sound and, of course, winner of So You Think You Can Dance. Let's get into this fun stuff now. You, uh, i got to say, like I said, I was there from the beginning when it was All the Right Moves um, back on Oxygen how did that come about? How did they approach you with that? And tell me, were you guys thinking of your dance uh, club already or was it done for the show?
6: Well, let me take it back a little bit. Um, let's see. Travis Wall got hired to do uh, a piece on Dancing with the Stars about, I'd say, eight years ago. Okay. And um, it was amazing. It was called not, Nothing But uh, Strings. Uh, we danced with uh, this. I can't remember what the group is called, but they're like a like a rock and kind of like a not rock and roll. It was like a R&B hip hop um, electric violinist. They were really okay, cool. Okay. And um, they had them performing on the show. And they approached Travis. Steve stars, and was like, "Hey, we have these artists, and we think it would be a really cool collabo with them um, if you guys put together like something really contemporary and did it with them." And he was like, "Got it. Great." So he hired me, um, he hired Teddy Forentz, who is also a co-founder of Shaping Sound and a bunch of other, a bunch of our other friends who actually are still in the company now. And we, it was the first time we had all worked together professionally. And it was the first time we had worked together professionally with Travis. And it was amazing. We had the best time ever. It was, it was the easiest job to do. It was the most fun job to do. It was the most fulfilling job to do. Um, You know, if you go back and look at the piece, like what we were doing in the piece was bonkers and it was just really fun. And so we were all kind of partying and celebrating at my friend's house that night. We were all hanging out um, in his living room and we were talking and we were like, how do we make this happen all the time? Like this is what working professionally as a dancer should be. You should, you know, like the people that you're working with. You should like the material that you're doing. You should believe in the work that you're doing. And it should be fun and it should feel fun to do. And I think a lot of us had had kind of been set up with doing jobs that were not that. And so we were kind of like, okay, how do we make this happen? How do we make this work all the time? And so we were like, we, we need to to start our own dance company. So we, that was kind of the, the, the birth of the idea of shaping. Okay. Dance. Um, about a year later, uh, we were uh, at a dance camp, um, that one of our friends had put together for his mom's studio in Massachusetts. And, uh, Travis came in off the phone, um, and he was like, hey, I just got asked to do a reality show. And we were like, what do you mean? He was like, well, this guy called me up and was like, hey, I'm a producer. I, I love your work. I, I think it would be really interesting to do a reality show about you. And Travis was like, well, I'm not that <laughs> I'm not that exciting. He was like, but me and my <laughs> friends, we're really exciting, and we're trying to start this dance company. And so the, the producer, his name is Jerry Silverheart. He's actually one of our – very close friends now. He's about 70 years old. He is the biggest Jewish queen you've ever met in your entire life. He's Love like, it. Oh honey. Oh yeah. He's the best. We, we call him our very few <laughs> mother cause he's the, just the best. He's one of the greatest human beings ever. Um, and he loves us and he, he loves dance and he's just the sweetest man ever. So we met up with him. Um, we kind of talked about who we all are, you know, what the show, what we envision the show to look like, um, what this dance company is all about, and he loved it. And so we started pitching, um, we started pitching the idea to networks. Um, We started pitching the idea to um, uh, production companies. And we actually ended up uh, hooking up with World of Wonder, uh, produces RuPaul's Drag Race, which is amazing. And we got to meet you and we got to do a bunch of, um, a bunch of like cross, promotion with, like, all of the World of Wonder shows, which is really neat, um, and then we got, uh, we got hooked up with Oxygen, and we shot the show in about six months. Um, it was definitely a learning
0: experience. Um,
6: okay. You know, Travis and, I had done rea- Travis and I had done reality television before, um, but the other boys hadn't, so for them, it was, it was a little bit harder than for us. Um, the show was, isn't exactly what we wanted. Um, they kind of, they, they focus more on the drama of it. I think it's because it was on oxygen. It was, it's on the, the network of the bad girls club. So they were right. always looking for just more drama and like, Oh, like, didn't that make you mad that Teddy said that? And I'm like, no, Teddy says that all the time. Like I'm immune <laughs> to it now. Or it was just stuff like that where just, you know, they would always try to poke and prod and be like, but doesn't that make you feel this way? So then after, like, an hour of fighting them in your interviews, you'd be like, yes, okay, fine, fine, yes, it makes me feel that way. Are you happy? Can I be done now? I've been sitting in this room for three hours doing the confessional. Let me out of here. So oh, my it, goodness. It, it, was, it wasn't the best. I mean, reality, show, reality shows and reality TV are what they are. Um, I think that the show definitely propelled Shaping Sound into getting hooked up with a major producer, um, and I don't think we would be where we are today without the show. I think the show kind of um, showed people that wanted to invest in the company that we were serious and that we're actually a very talented, very unique dance company. And at the time, there wasn't a lot of, um, of, there wasn't a lot of, and I still don't think there are a lot of, like, commercial, kind of uh, commercialized contemporary dance companies, meaning, you know, shaping sound to kind of walk the line between concert and commercial dance.
4: Um, and mm. not a
6: lot of companies and not a lot of projects out there do that. So I think that we are very unique, and I think that our producer, who kind of um, jumped at us and kind of and swooped us up, knew that. And um, we've been super successful ever since. And we're about to go off on our—I don't—I can't even remember. I think it's like our eighth tour, seventh tour, sixth tour. I don't even know. There's been so many tours, I can't—I can't, I can't <laughs> really remember them all, but. Um, we're, we're so thankful for just the opportunities that came from all the right moves. We, we like to not <laughs> dwell on all the right moves. It's kind of that, that, that unspoken thing. We just, we, anytime somebody brings it up, we're like, yep. Okay. Mm, mm-hmm, yep. Next. Mm, yep. We're, we're not going to talk about this. <laughs> because it because it just, it was one of those things that like we were proud of it, but we weren't proud of it. Like, there are some things well, that yeah, happen it's on reality. the show, like in any
2: reality. I can part of it. But for fan size, I just wanted to jump in the pool from the roof. That's all I wanted to do. <laughs> and I wanted to go hang out and watch rehearsal one day. Because that's where it yeah. really did – I mean, above all else, there's drama, of course. But I think what we were looking for and what came through was the talent of the dance, the choreography, and what you guys have even become even more known for, the creativity yeah. you guys yeah. use and – the way you tell a story is just freaking amazing, my friend. And this, this one is called after the show, right? And just the costume, the the looks, it's just, man, do you guys have this thing nailed? It's
6: so cool. Thank you. Yeah. Like uh, it's, it's very fulfilling and it's, it's super cool to get to, to have ideas and to talk about ideas like that you have with other creative people and to see those ideas come to life. Um, you know, we're very, 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 very lucky to be able to do this and to be able to just, you know, have an idea, jot it down on a piece of paper, and then see it come to life. Um, and we have a great team around us. We have a great producer. We've got a great company manager. We've got great tour managers that take care of us and that they believe in what we do. And um, we're a family from our dancers to, you know our crew guys that have been on with us for um, the last four years. Uh, everybody has kind of been around from the beginning of the touring process, so everybody knows each other, and it it just it feels right when everybody's on tour together.
2: That's so great to hear. And you guys, like I said, going out on tour again. I think it kicks off June 6th. You guys will be in San Antonio, Texas, at the Tobin Center Performing for Arts. Then you're going to go all through Texas. You got Louisiana, Georgia, North Carolina. Brooklyn, I'm going to try to hit Brooklyn, New York, or Boston, Mass. You're going to be in Brooklyn around Pride times. So I think I'm going to New York Pride this year. Oh, and I am going amazing. to come see you, my friend. There's the, and you guys are doing the VIP experience, which I think is kind of amazing for the fans. Talk about what, yeah, you, so what you brought that about. That's cool.
6: Well, I think that people love the fact that we are accessible. Um, we always come out after our shows. We do a meet and greet with all the fans. And I think that, um, it kind of, it it keeps us connected to people. And I think that they can feel like they are connected to us. And, you know, we see fans and we see people that have come, you know, to three or four shows like in a, in one tour leg and we know them now and they're friends of the company and, and, um, they help us out, you know. They they go put posters up in cities and things like that for us. So for us, the fans are the most important. I think that we just wanted to give kind of an extra, an extra close, extra personal kind of look into, you know, what happens at the theater before the show. And that's what the VIP experience is all about. They get to come in. Uh, they get to watch us do our thing on stage for about an hour, two hours. They get to see us, you know, walking through lighting. They get to see us you know, really setting the show up for that night. And then they get to watch um, us do our ballet class or our yoga class or our stretch class or whatever we're feeling that day. Uh, they get to come and ask us questions right after and kind of we do a little meet and greet with them first. And then they get, uh, I believe they get super good seats too. Don't quote me on that one. I'm not sure about that. But uh, after the show, uh, we – uh, they get to come backstage. Uh, they get to come back kind of in the dressing room area. They get to see us first before anybody else, and take pictures. That's and great. The whole VIP. Yeah, I think
2: experience. the VIP experience is separate from. But you have to have tickets first, and then you get the yes. VIP by the VIP tickets on top of it. But it looks like it's so worth it. How do you keep that kind of energy? Like looking at this, you're going from Atlanta, Georgia, New Orleans, Louisiana, Atlanta, Georgia, Raleigh, North Carolina, Brooklyn, New York. Boston Mass, one day apart, day after day after day <laughs> after day. How do you keep that kind of – how do you keep your health? How do you keep your stamina for that? That's a lot of traveling and a lot of work, plus being on the stage. It is. Dancing your butts off for a couple hours.
6: Yeah, it's – you know, it helps when you're with people that you love. And uh, we spend a lot of time on a bus together um so <laughs> they they take really good care of us our 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 production takes really good care of us um we have a sleeper bus with bunks so we get to sleep um we always have hotel rooms when we get to the cities even if it's just for a day um we usually get in really early in the morning or i guess really late at night depending on how you're looking at it um and so <laughs> we get to sleep uh, we always joke like our sleep schedules get so messed up when we're on tour we, we it's totally okay. You know, we we do the show. We eat dinner at, like, 11 o'clock at night. Uh, We get on the bus at midnight. We travel anywhere between, you know, 3 and 10 hours. It just depends on where we're going. So we either sleep on the bus. I'm not a big sleeper on the bus. I feel like I'm in a coffin when I'm in my sleeper bunk. So
4: I (laughs) I try to
6: stay up as long as I can until we get to wherever we're going to. And then I usually crash pretty hard when I get into my hotel. But then it's like you sleep until – 2 p.m., and then you wake up, and you get to the, to the theater at 4, and you do it all over again. So, you definitely get that, into schedule. It's a really wonky schedule, but as long as you find a schedule for yourself, it it, it feels – you don't feel too crazy. Now, when you get off tour, that's a whole nother situation, and <laughs> you feel really crazy because you're like, wait, am I supposed to be in, like, K- Poughkeepsie? Are we doing a show What's happening? Well, you're still always steps? traveling. I
2: mean, you're Why you're on the faculty for Jump, and I see every time I turn around, there's a jump somewhere that I see. So you're always, those are all over the country, right?
6: Yeah, we're kind of professional. Uh, I'm a professional packer and a professional traveler at this point. Okay.
2: <laughs> have, have suitcase at the ready. I love it. Yes,
6: yeah. yes. Yeah.
2: And then the last thing I wanted to talk about, we're running out of time here, but just a minute, you're... I mean, I don't get to, I haven't got to see you live. i have just got to see little snippets of things and stuff from the website. But your last two appearances on Ellen, that little, uh, oh my God, the dubstep you guys did through there, that was an amazing Uh piece of dance. And then Bohemian Rhapsody is one of my all-time favorite songs. I'm a queen fanatic in more ways than one. Thank you very much. But I think (laughs) the dancing of those two, how long did it take you guys to put that dubstep together? That was amazing.
6: Um, let's see. Usually for Ellen, besides uh, Bohemian, because that was a piece that we, that we had from our previous show, but right. usually for the stuff that we do on Ellen, it's quick. We don't really know that we're doing it until maybe like the week four, maybe like two weeks before. So then it, like with television, it's always, it's always rough trying to figure out what piece of music you have to do because you have to get rights to it and a lot of the times the music that we want to dance to it's either too expensive or it's just the rights aren't there or they won't pay for it so it's always it's always hard getting to the actual part where you choreograph Um, once we start choreographing it's super easy things kind of fly out and we've been working together for so long now that it's it's really easy to choreograph together but it's all the other stuff that goes with it. It's like, okay, like, we have to do, you know, two minutes. No, you're doing one and a half minute. Okay, well, can we compromise? Let's do 145. Cool. All right, well, we want you to do this song. Well, we hate that song. Well, this is the song. Well, then we're not going to do it. Okay, well, then how about this song? So it's, just, it's hard. When you, do, when you dance on television, it's, it's, it's difficult. We were super lucky that they um, let us use Bohemian Rhapsody, though, because obviously that's I mean it's one of the greatest songs ever written and I uh, mean it's it's pretty expensive to get the rights to but but um Ellen loved loved that piece so much that she was like I have to have it on the show so they made an exception and they 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 let us uh come on the show and perform that piece and <clears throat> that is one of my all-time favorite Shaping Sound pieces that we've ever done it's it's kind of like a staple I think that when people um, think of shaping sound, especially our, our super fans. They they always know Bohemian Rhapsody. Like that's the one. That's right. the one that they wait for um, when they saw our old show. So it's kind of our it's kind of our our um, revelations. You know, Alvin really Ailey had true. revelations, and and I think that that's our revelations. <laughs>
2: I love it. Well, there's so much more I want to talk to you about, about choreography and everything else. But running out of time here. Thanks so much for being on the Left of Straight Show today, Nick. You know I'm a huge super fan. Of course. I appreciate your time. Of
6: course. We'll have to do the so We can talk about choreography. I'll, I'll answer any your You're
2: welcome on. And then you got to come on a Wednesday show sometime. Wednesday is my just a fun show. We do uh, we talk about the week in review in uh, pop culture, politics, and LGBT news. And we just rant, rave and review the entire week. Oof. It's a lot of fun. We cuss we have a cocktail or so on each end, and it's a good
6: oh. time. <laughs> amazing well, we have a lot we've way too much to talk about these days in the world, don't we but that's um, I'm, I'm glad that i oh my gosh, what's happening anywho but um, I'm glad that you had me on and and chatted, and this is awesome. I would love to come back
2: that is for terrific guys. you got to go check out the shaping sound website is shapingsoundco.com. dot com thats shaping dot com You'll find out all the tour information. You get to see some amazing videos. You get to see the cast, everything that's going on. Nick, you got to tell them your social media because if I get to see your video one more time of you yelling at that lady in the parking lot for screwing up your parking (laughs) space, I was dying for about a day and a half, dude. You have the best Instagram stories on the planet. I love your
4: passion.
6: Thank you. Thank you. I couldn't believe that she parked like that. (laughs) I, I was so flabbergasted I had to wait the twenty minutes for her to get out of the, the of amazing. the store for me to amazing actually see her face. video,
2: my friend. I love the following you. you. Give your social me media yet. for all my all my uh, listeners out here.
6: Yeah, you can find me on uh Instagram at Nick Lazzarini. Um I don't really do Twitter anymore. I, I barely go on my Twitter. I don't even remember my Twitter. I didn't even know my Twitter password. Um and then uh, <laughs> You can find me on Facebook at just my name, Nick Lazzarini.
2: All right. Well, we're going the line for me. We're going to go ahead and head out. Uh, I'll be back in just a couple of minutes. We're going to play out today with a little bit of Jay Knight. This is Into the Sun. Guys, we been listening to Nick Lazzarini from Shaping Sound. You're listening to Left and Straight so I'll be back in just a